Reptile Gumbo Podcast. I'm James Lewis from Simply Serpents. And I'm April Justine from Designer Exotics. Each week, we'll discuss what is happening in herpetoculture on social media, YouTube, and even on other podcasts. We will share our opinions and thoughts on current events, as well as the opinions of you, the listener. Make sure to check out our Facebook and Instagram for interactive polls and posts where you can tell us what you were thinking. Then listen for your name each week as we share your opinions on the podcast. So sit back and relax. Here's the Reptile Gumbo Podcast. Welcome to episode 15 of the Reptile Gumbo Podcast. Did you forget what it was called, James? <laughs> I, I, did have, I did have a slight brain fart. It's one of those things you start and then like you have two ways of saying it in your head and then you choose one. Your brain's like, no, we're going to switch to the other one. Uh, okay. but I, I do know it's my podcast. <laughs> oh, that's good. That's good. So how's it going, Sorry. April? It's great. I just had to give you a hard time because I know you are going to give it to me full on. That sounds dirty, but it's not, I promise. <laughs> For like the rest of the episode, you are just going to give me the hardest time ever. And you, so. you'll take it and you'll like it. So yes. <laughs> so before we move farther, we and this is kind of like a, a soap opera. Last we left off, April was bitten by a venomous snake. I was dun dun dun. Did um, she die? So I, I didn't die. Oh, okay. Um, and uh, I had about seventy-two hours of swelling. And the freaking my hand still hurts. So well, I've it always me- after, if, if it stays swollen for more than four hours, you need to see a doctor. Wow, oh wait, Jim. no, that's never mind. That's a wow. <laughs> anyway, um, it bit me on like the the fleshy part uh, between your thumb and your pointer finger, and that part like still hurts up to my middle finger on the the. On both sides of my hand, actually. I'm pressing it right now, which is making it hurt. Uh, the first couple days... It, anybody that misses, she got bit by a beak snake. Yeah, so that is a rear-fanged snake. Um, and they have to chew a little bit to get that venom into you. And it did. Um, very, yeah, and it did. That's when I got worried. That's <laughs> when I saw the chewing. I'm like, oh, no. <laughs> um, but yeah, it, it hurts like a deep bruise is what it feels like. Um the first couple days, I couldn't even touch my skin because it hurt so much. Um, I had trouble closing my hand all the way just because it, it was irritated. Uh, but at this point, it's been a week now. And um, like I said, it, it feels like a deep bruise, but all the swelling is completely gone. My hand looks completely normal. I can use my hand completely normally. The swelling did not move up beyond my hand. So there's that. I just wanted to give an update because not a lot of people have been bit by these animals, so they don't know how the venom reacts to people. Mind you, the reaction that I have is going to be different from the reaction that James has or the reaction that our guest, Dan Magano, is that how you say your name, Dan? Yes. Yes. Okay. So, so the reaction that he might have would be all different. So, well, What I'm interested in is, so you've gotten bit now, nothing really happened. Yeah. But if you were to get bit again or a couple more times, would your body then react differently to multiple bites? Is what I'm. Well, curious. I surely hope that I don't have to give you that update. <laughs> hey, can you go grab even- that snake real quick and hold it for a while? <laughs> I don't even know, like what. Obviously, okay. So, side story: I was intoxicated while handling this snake when <laughs> I got don't bit. Say. So. <laughs> Yeah, and I'm not 100% sure if, like, I held on more tightly than usual, so I, I'm really not exactly sure what 
you know, made her bite me, but, you know, it is what it is. Hopefully I don't do those things again and she doesn't bite me again. The best part was you literally just said, yeah, they don't really like to bite. They tend to run away. And then I look away and, oh, it's biting me. I know. I felt really dumb, but that's okay. (laughs) As you should have. It's all good. Yeah. Yeah, you know. But I just wanted to give you guys an update. Like I said, it's not every day that someone gets bitten by a rear fanged venomous snake. So thought I'd let you know what was going on with my hand. All right. So you want to reintroduce our guests and we can get started? Alrighty, so we have Dan on the line with us. Say hello, Dan. Hello. <laughs> that was very enthusiastic. Thank you. <laughs> um, so I know him through Short Tales, and gosh, how long have you been keeping Dan? Short Tales specifically, forever, right? Yeah, well, not forever, but uh, <laughs> it was about 2002, 2003 is when I really started with snakes, um, somewhere in that range, and then um, I. I got into short tales fairly early on and then kind of went back and forth with stuff. Like I think a lot of new keepers do for a while. Uh, I didn't really get heavily into them where they were my focus until probably like 2011. Okay. 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 Even that is longer than I've been keeping. I've been keeping short tales for six years now. So 20, 2014. Gosh, math, April. Jeez. April. It's when not even you- that hard. It's 2020, and it, math is not hard on that year. <laughs> so when did you start keeping reptiles, though, April? Uh, I was 15 years old, and it was a corn snake. So <laughs> if you count that, that's that's when it started. And I'm almost 35 now, so oh, you're older. 20 years-ish. You're older than me, so whatever. <laughs> <laughs> whatever, dude. <laughs> look, I, I felt old, so... For those that don't know, I'm a high school teacher, and I was looking up some stuff the other day, and I saw the dates that my children were born as I was looking through stuff on the computer, and I graduated high school before any of my students were born. You are old now. Man. I, I was like, hold it. I realized if I had made bad life decisions, I'd have a child that's a 10th grader in high school. I don't even know what to say to that. I, I, luckily, yeah. I luckily do not. <laughs> All right, well, let's get into this, shall we? So, uh, as usual, I want to go over what we have on our Facebook page from the last week. Um, uh, we want to go with your question first. I liked your question. I liked some of the answers for your question. I liked all of the answers to this question. Um, <laughs> but I said, in your opinion, what is the hardest animal to keep and why? Now, I will say a lot of people did not give me the and why part. <laughs> or, so. or, a, or a serious answer. Or a serious answer, yes. I did get some that didn't give an animal. They said, um, I know Ryan specifically was one, um, that said really it's the one that you are not willing to put the time into or the animal that you didn't research. That would be the hardest animal. Um, And I completely understand that answer and where they're going with that answer. However, I was looking specifically for certain animals that was, um, that was so, just, Justin Smith said that, ones you weren't prepared for. Someone else said it, too. But anyway, um, and we have Michael that said like, human children. Look, that yes. answer was the most uh, ex- like perfect answer for that question. I know. I was I, like, I think that's the best answer. I've got a human <laughs> child, and the snakes are way easier. Right. Yeah, I, I, I don't know. Eventually, you flip a switch where you can you can train the child to actually do things for you. No, 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 no. no you never you hope that. you hope you can train the child to do things for you, but then they'll still do whatever they want to, and then you have to yell at them. Yeah, 
That's true. He's like, I'll give you an example. I told her daughter to go clean her room. I walk in there. She's playing with a toy in her room and tells me she was cleaning her room. I can Maybe see she was you. The toy. <laughs> I can see you sitting there playing with it, but it's Lies. it's it's amazing. I get it from students all the time. How dumb they think we are. I'm like, but I can. Yeah, see but we know. It's like, Let, we know. Be, we just don't tell um, you. How many times am I changing a cage, and all of a sudden I get distracted reading a newspaper article from two years ago? So <laughs> different, you know. We just we just think it's okay now, you know. It, it is okay. I, I pay rent. It's okay. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> so uh, uh, we. What else do we have? Uh, uh, dragon snakes? Dragon snakes. That everyone has said uh, that. I mean, yes, that's Scott Borden. Um, this one was interesting for me from Amanda. She said garter snakes because they have itty-bitty mouths. <laughs> um, and they also need to eat smashed-up fish bits, which is difficult. So I can see how that would be very difficult uh, when you are starting with babies for that. Um, yeah, I've never taken care of baby ones. Adults I've found pretty easy. I just go and buy, like, shiners and throw them in a in a thing of water and they go to town all they go fish for them yeah which is hilarious to watch no one's ever watched a garter snake fish for food out of a bowl it's hilarious it is actually really funny they They just like blindly open their mouth and like like you said thrash around in the water hopefully i'll catch something (laughs) don't put your hand in the way (laughs) yeah you will Uh, get it steven spear and i think my wife also said uh chameleons We we had bad luck with chameleons uh way early on in keeping um just because we didn't know much, which I think is, is pretty much everyone's issue when it comes to keeping anything, really. When you don't know a lot, everything seems hard. Uh, but we found out later on the person sold them to us way too small. I mean, these were veiled chameleons, and they were itty-bitty, eating pinhead crickets so small. Uh, and they're very fragile when they're young. Um, and so it didn't get them for us. Steve had a good point that they're very good at hiding their ailments like their thicknesses until it's too late, till it's gone too far. Almost like dogs hiding their pain and you just don't know because they've just been taking it. That is honestly so. almost any animal. Working in the zoo field, you realize that uh, by the time you see something looking sick or injured, it's been that way for a while. Uh, but it's just so ingrained into them through evolution to hide all weaknesses because the weak animals are the ones that get eaten. And so they hide it until the very last second, which is why a lot of times people struggle when they find their animals sick, getting them healthy because you're seeing them at the very last stage. You're not seeing them very early on. So why as a keeper, it's important to try and catch some of the subtle things like, uh, and I know this one's tricky, but is your animal not eating? And I know it's tricky because sometimes our animals don't eat for a lot of reasons, uh, but that's one, or is it staying on one side of the cage versus the other? It's those, uh, you got to watch your animals, see what they're doing. Yeah. I, I talk to people and preach that all the time that it's important to spend time with your animals because then you notice those little idiosyncrasies that are just off. You know, every animal's got their individual trait that they do with everything. And the more you know that that individual animal, the easier it is to spot when something's off way before, you know, you get to the stage where it's too late to do something. You don't necessarily know what it is that's wrong, but at least you know, maybe I should start keeping better records on this animal. Maybe I need to, you know, try to figure out what's going on. Well, it's, and it's not even always like being sick either because, you know, if your animal has a hide that it goes into and it's normally in there at night, it comes out, but it's normally in the hide. But you go in during the day and it's laying on, on the outside of the hide on the side of the cage. It's a good chance to probably shit in its hide. Go check the hide. A yeah. lot of times if my snake is not in there, they've crapped in there. Yeah, my short tails will pee and poop in there and then go on top of the hide. So I'm like, oh, I know I have to clean up a mess. <laughs> 
Yeah, I love with the hatchlings where they'll do that, where they go to the bathroom and they like sit on top of their water dish or flip it upside <laughs> down, sit on top of it. It looks like you know somebody in a capsized boat out there. Like, see? <laughs> it's like I'm not touching it. Yeah. <laughs> the ground is lava. <laughs> Hot lava. Don't touch the ground. Exactly. <laughs> they will do it. And it's weird too because I find with my adults they don't care as much. The adults are like whatever. They'll go to the bathroom and they'll sit right next to it. It doesn't seem to phase them as much, at least with my collection. Whereas the babies like go to the bathroom and they're nowhere near it. I notice it more with my adults only because my adults are on paper and everyone else is on cocoa fiber or cocoa husk mix. So when they, I mean, their hides are just a, a rubber made plastic tote with a hole punched out of it. So not super, you know, exciting. Yeah. But they go in there and totally mess it up, and that that's when I can tell. But with the cocoa fiber, um, that is a little bit more forgiving of a substrate, and so I can just, you know, grab the poop that's in the corner. Mind you, they'll poop all the way in the corner and be on the opposite side for sure. <laughs> yeah, but child snakes, when they piss, piss like a whole gallon of liquid. It's disgusting. Yes, and it smells like you know when it's a short tail that peed <laughs> or pooped. It's really weird, but like you know the the species smell. It's it doesn't phase me like it, it does other people though, because like people come in and like, oh my god, what is that? I'm like, what do you mean? I'm like, oh, it just peed. Like, you know, I don't I don't find it as potent as I did, you know, 15 years ago. <laughs> I'm just so used to it now. You know, it's like, uh, I don't know. My retic and my berm actually, when they pee, it bothers me more than my short tails. Yeah, because it's just a different smell. You just notice it right away. Yeah, I'm like, oh, man, yeah. <laughs> like my air vent will come on. And unfortunately, my my HVAC system is all connected with this, uh, my snake room. Oh. I'm in my snake room right now. So it'll kick on, especially the heater, and then I can kind of smell it. I'm like, oh, man, someone messed up their cage. So it's gross. Well, that was the only reason the, uh, I got rid of the one hog nose that I had. I had one Western hog nose that a friend gave me. And after a few times of it shitting and me being able to smell it as soon as I opened my snake room door, I was like, nope, you're gone. Yeah, I could, never, I could never really deal with colubrids and mass like that. They, they're just, it's a different smell. I don't know how people do it, but uh, like pine snakes, I can't, I just can't even imagine. And they're, so their shit is liquidy. Like, like my boas <laughs> have turds. It's ugh. gross. <laughs> so anyway, wrapping this question well, up. There's um, some other things I want to talk about on this question. Okay. Ashley said monitors. Uh, because yeah. money, space, and overall commitment. So that makes absolute sense. Um, I would not get a big monitor because of that reason, too, even though I think water monitors are awesome. Um, I want one so bad, but I, I won't get one until I own a house. I'm not going to rent and have a water monitor. Well, it's, and it's why I don't own one. I, it's not even the big ones. Even, like, the little Ackies, they just they take time. And, yeah. And, we're, and if you're a snake person, like a true, truly a snake person, it's probably because part of you is a little lazy. I mean, they are a lazy man's animal. They, you know, yeah, you got to clean, you got to do that, but it's not like a dog. I don't have to take my snakes out and play with them and keep them entertained. No, it but, always drives me nuts when people are like, I don't have time for a snake. I'm like, do you literally not have like five minutes a week? Like, you know, you can really get away with that. I don't even like fight that battle anymore. No, no. <laughs> like, I, don't, I don't have time. Okay. <laughs> but, but then when you're talking about monitors, you have got to basically keep them entertained. If you want, if you sure. want a true pet, something that you're going to be able to enjoy time with, you got to put in a lot of time and trust. And I know that I just don't, I can't do it right. And they are so smart too. So intelligent. So they need that stimulation. Um, I liked Bryant McDowell Jr.'s answer. Uh, the animals that you rapidly lose interest in for um, after acquiring them. Those are the hardest ones. You know, a lot of people, 
see a pretty picture on Facebook or they go to a reptile show and something is shiny and it looks great there and they get it home and it's wonderful for a week. And, and then you're just like, whatever. And then the, the animal suffers because you just don't, you're not interested in it anymore. And so it seems like it's become a harder animal to take care of because it just, it drains you. Um, yeah. And so those, those are difficult. Um, that's why you research, 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 and more research before you buy something. Yeah, preferably before you buy it. That would be helpful. Uh, Lance Kirkman's response to Justin, because Justin said the ones that you weren't prepared for, and Lance Kirkman's response was Owen's new uh, sulcata. <laughs> I did, yes, hear about that on their last podcast. I will say, <laughs> Talking about it. as someone who owns sulcatas, they, they are an easy animal to take care of if you set them up correctly, which I guess really is anything, but... They're not an easy animal if you live in an apartment. I mean, that's not going to be the tortoise for you. Um, You have to have a yard. Because no matter how cute they are on that tortoise table in your house when they're under 20 pounds, uh, when they hit 80 pounds, they're not really needing to free roam your house. That's when you see those pictures of, like, the sulcata breaking through a door or a wall. Uh, (laughs) They're a tank. So if you have, like, mine right now have a large yard, and we're hoping to move to a house with a very, very large yard, and, and they're great. They've got all the food they could have out there. You give them extra, like, tortoise chow and this and there. But really, as long as you have them set up well, there's not a lot of time you got to put into them. But you do have to have them set up well. So, yeah, uh, I think Owen's going to find that out soon, I guess. And his is even more because, I mean, he lives up north. I can at least leave mine out for most of the year. I don't get snow. He's going to get five or six months at best most years, maybe seven. Yeah. I wouldn't do it. But that's just because I like my yard. And by the off chance that I don't set it up with the correct stuff and it wants to bulldoze my yard, I'd be very upset. So I'm just not going to go there. I've lucked out. Mine don't like to dig. I I think I found some some reasons why they don't dig. If you give them somewhere they can go and hide and start, they tend to be pretty good. Uh, But yeah, you've got to, it's, they do what they want to do. And, I mean, my biggest one is 80 pounds, and he still has probably another 80 pounds to grow, at least. Um, when they get full grown, they do whatever the hell they want. <laughs> so, it's yeah. it's tricky. You know, and, I, to be honest, I haven't bought a single one of my sulcatas. <laughs> they, they were rescues. So, unfortunately, they've also been hard animals for other people to keep. That's why I have them. Yeah. Because they're so cute when they're so little. Adorable when they're little. They're that's why adorable. I, was, I tell folks, if you think that's adorable, then go get you a Russian tortoise. I mean, it's always yes. going to be little. And you can keep it on a tortoise table or a small, you know, a small cage. And they're amazing tortoises. They're, they'll do all the stuff you want a tortoise to do without being heavier than you and outliving you forever. I mean, I mean Russians live a long time, but they're not living the 150, 160 years as Alcada will. And they're so cute. They are. Oh, and they- you keep a sulcata in too small of a space, too. When they go to the bathroom, they trek through it. It's everywhere. That's it, terrible. I'm telling you, if y'all a- could just see the look on my face, it was sheer <laughs> disgust. I'm telling you right now, that, that that's a big-ass turd. That's The great oh. thing about having a nine-year-old is I have, I bought a pooper scooper in a bucket. And that's I'm like, every now and then, go scoop the yard. And she has to go through. And, <laughs> oh, man. Even the small guys, when they go, you're like, oh, it's a small tortoise. Still a big turd. Yep. So... But yes, I, I liked that question. The, the idea of things that are hard. They're not always hard animals because they are hard. Like the dragon snake, yeah, yeah. That one's hard because it's got very specific uh, parameters that you have to keep it in. And we're still trying to figure out those perfect parameters. So yeah, that's a hard one. 
but even a ball python can be hard if you're not prepared for it. Yep. Very true. So it's it's all in how you define it. And then we all agree children, human children are the worst. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then my question, uh, which I got from Dallas Rua. Dallas sent this to us. It was, do you reuse shipping supplies when you get a snake to your doorstep, such as the bags or deli cups or boxes or anything? Um, and we got several different answers. I'll, I'll give you mine. Uh, mine is yes and no. I, I don't really reuse it to ship anything out. That's not what I'm using any of the shipping stuff for. But if I have an animal that comes in in a deli cup or bag or whatever, I'll usually keep that. If it's a bag, it's super easy because you can throw it in the washing machine. But um, deli cups you can clean out with spray. But I'll use them for when my animal's in quarantine. I take it out of the cage to clean. I'll put it in whatever it came in originally, usually, and then put it back in the cage. And, and so I tend to keep cups, deli cups and stuff for that purpose. I'm like the opposite. I don't keep the deli cups. I do keep um, bags because I have like a sterilization, I don't know, setting on my washing machine, which I think is just like extra super hot water. Um, so I put it through there and I can reuse those. Um, I will reuse boxes, but only if I'm sending them to like friends and people I know. Basically people that aren't going to judge me and put me on blast on Facebook. <laughs> I- I'm your friend, but I'll still judge you. Yeah, and you'll still give me shit about it too, but you know, whatever. <laughs> it, it varies. It varies for me with stuff. Like I, I had, um, you know, I got into new species within the last couple of years, and getting into new species means buying sometimes from people that I don't know. Like short tails, I know pretty much everybody in that community who I want to buy from, who I don't. With the new species, you know, you you read, you look at all the FBI type posts and BOIs and stuff. But I, I got sent mites. Uh, twice last year so those those snakes you know i open the boxes before i ever even bring them in my house i always open everything outside you mean you don't you don't unbox right next to all of your other animals no i don't do the bar check not not quite my but yeah so i I unbox outside and uh like you know the two snakes that i got i put them in soaks outside on my deck right away i burned those boxes in my fire pit bags everything like that stuff did not come anywhere near my house never will what do you but soak them in just water okay um just to knock off any of the mites that are on them immediately i'll soak them for like three or four hours and then uh you know i'll set them up in in quarantine with preventative um but i i don't i don't mess around with that stuff i don't want to deal with mites i don't want to mites are terrible um if if something came in like that, I would not use anything either. No. Just as a side note. Well, <laughs> I do know several people had the same reasoning. They don't, they don't use, reuse the styrofoam or boxes. One nightmare I've heard with the boxes, and you think about the corrugated cardboard boxes, is that it has all those little nooks and crannies between the cardboard layers. Uh, and yeah. those are perfect places for mites and stuff to hide. Um, and so that is one issue that you do have to worry about with, with boxes and stuff. And mites are, are freaking horrible. Mites are horrible. Um, but a lot of folks on here reuse bags, uh, deli cups here or there. Um, the big a thing. lot of stuff that can be washed and sanitized. Yeah, everyone agreed that they'd reuse. Uh, it, the big thing is is quarantine. I mean, even if you're quarantining the animal, quarantine supplies. Like, any, <laughs> don't bring them into your snake room just because the animal's not in them. They they still were in contact with the animal. If you're gonna clean something, sterilize something, do all that before you bring it near the rest of your animals. And that in- includes you, too. I mean, wash yourself up real good. If you got a new animal in, wash yourself up real good before you go in and start playing with anything else or handling anything else. 
or just don't handle anything else or play with anything else at yes, all. I don't yeah. even go in the sink yeah. in the, the <laughs> unless I shower and like everything. Right. Yeah. It's um, done for the day. That's the end of the day. And, and honestly, and like I know you said you reuse them, but and honestly, out there, anybody shipping supplies, if you buy them from the right people, aren't horribly expensive. They're not. They're definitely not expensive enough that you need to risk bringing anything into your collection. Um, so I, mean, I did the, the math on it, and for me, with all my shipping stuff, um, like stickers, everything that I put into a box when I send out animal, it's only an extra $10. And that's like with heat pack and everything or cold pack. So it's really not that much more. Yeah. Add that into your shipping cost. If you're going to send something out, just, yeah, just add another 10 bucks. You're good. <laughs> you know, it's, and yeah. just don't tell people that you're adding it. Just automatically absorb it because then you won't get people like bitching as much. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, don't, yeah, don't tell them, well, I need you to pay for the, just, there's the price of the snake, you know what the snake is worth to you, there's a price to ship it, you figure out the difference and tell them what the total is, and exactly. that's, that's what it is, <laughs> I mean, that's the total. Now, a lot of times, if you have, people can be flexible, like, a lot of times, uh, and I've done it before, you'll ask for, hey, if I buy the snake, will you give me free shipping? And now, if it's like a, a $70 snake, don't ask for free shipping. Yeah, right. <laughs> I mean... But, you know, so what do you what do you think is the price threshold for that? Over four hundred bucks, over three fifty, four hundred. Because I recently bought a snake that was over that amount, and they um, had me pay for shipping, and I was like, "What?" And I didn't ask because it's the first time dealing and dealing. That sounds like negative, but like working with this person, so it, it's like whatever. But I kind of was taken aback. I'm like, "Oh, it's not included." I mean, That's it's okay. it's. I, I understand. <laughs> I understand someone not wanting to cover it, but at the same time, in reality. You're selling a $500 snake. The snake didn't cost you $500. And I know people will say, well, I had to feed it. I had to raise the parents. I get that. But you know there's wiggle room when we price snakes. Like, everyone mm-hmm. knows there's wiggle room when you price a snake. And then free shipping is one of those goodwill things. You say, hey, yeah, I'll give you free shipping. You're not paying. The person that's selling the snake isn't paying the shipping. You're just going to take it out of the profits you make from the snake. It's not... I don't know. I, it's a business expense in it, a sense. It varies on the animal for me too, because like if I'm selling a holdback animal that I really don't want to let go of, yeah. I'm not going to budge unless you're a customer that's a repeat customer because I don't want to sell that snake to begin with. So whatever price I'm putting it at is a price where I can sleep at night knowing that thing leaves. Uh, but if it's just a regular baby that I had no intention of keeping that you know is, is for sale, then I'm, I'm much more likely to, to move stuff around if it makes sense to do so. I mean, I don't. I don't think it's wrong. Like I said, there's a per- certain price limit, but I don't think it's wrong to ask. Always ask if they can do free shipping. Now, if they say they won't, don't get upset. Right, it's their decision. Um, I, I was, I was the bad person earlier this week. I'm, I'm normally like, don't contact a seller unless you're ready to buy. I contacted the seller, and at the time, I was like, we're gonna buy it, and uh, and they're like, yeah, we'll pay for the shipping. And it was great, and I wanted the snake. And then I'm looking, also looking at buying a house soon and moving. And so the adult part of my brain said, look, you, you really should not spend $500 when you're about to move. And so I felt bad um, for messaging the person because I ended up not buying it. But the smart part of my brain was like, that $500 will help pay for like your floor and your reptile room so you can redo the floor. Uh, but normally I would say, you know, don't, don't contact the buyer unless you're ready to buy it. But I was the bad person this week. But they were willing. I will say they were great. They were willing to cover shipping. But it was also a $500 snake. So. And it was a beautiful snake. I'll add that just to like put salt in the wound. (laughs) You're welcome. I don't even like boas, but I know what you're looking for. So I I knew 
That was a painful one to pass up. Oh, yeah, through. I was pretty much wondering. It was a super hypo jungle, het snow, and it was amazing. The whole back was almost like patternless. It was oh, it kills me. And then I looked at it like two days later, and it said hold. Like it was on, on Morph Market, so they had the hold sticker on there. I was like, oh well, at least someone. Else. <laughs> Damn it! <laughs> and it was like two years old, so it was even closer to breeding than a baby. Oh. Anyways, I'll go cry later about that. <laughs> so, so yeah, that was our question about reusing shipping supplies. Thank you, Dallas, for that question. That was a great question. It also saved yeah. me from having to think this week and come up with one. So, it worked and thank you, everyone who participated and answered. We obviously really appreciate when y'all do that. Yes. Uh, and then speaking of people answering, we also have our weekly one where we post wanting to hear from people what they what they think this week. And I thought this week was kind of, and I said it to y'all before we started recording, kind of a slow week. Although a lot of these weeks have been slow weeks in the hobby just because everyone's stuck at home not doing shit. But uh, there wasn't a lot of YouTube stuff here or there, so I appreciated people reaching out with some new things. Um, Ryan Goslow had a really cool one that he put on here about Gariels, and and I think Gariels are awesome. Uh, one cool thing about it is if you look at our logo for our podcast, and this was Carly's idea when she when we designed the logo, she wanted to have a Gariel. So if you look, that's actually a Gariel in the, the gumbo pot uh, with its nose sticking up. So that's why I thought this article was cool. I'm like looking. I'm like, where's its nose? <laughs> yeah, it's it's way it. out there. That's um, so good. But this one was local communities in Nepal that are stepping up to help protect gharials. Because I was reading that there's like 700 to 900 mature gharials in the wild. And that's all. And so they have these groups that monitor the nest. And the problem is right now with all the lockdown and shutdowns, the normal group can't get out there and monitor these nests. So what they're doing is they're staying in contact with locals uh, through the internet, through phones, and the locals are actually stepping up. And they, and they train these locals, these fishermen, these farmers, to watch these nest sites. And there were a couple of nest sites because horrible storms were coming through that these nests were about to get washed away through erosion uh, because the, I was reading the gharials only lay their eggs, a lot like alligators, about three to four meters away from the water line. And so they were afraid they were going to lose these nests, and the locals were able to contact them and help them save these babies. And I think it was something like 90-something babies. Uh, wow. Or at least eggs that they were able to save. So that that was really awesome. Gharials are are really cool. If no one's ever seen one in person, they're a really cool crocodilian to see, just because they're so weird and they're so adapted for fish eating. That is it. They are not taking down water buffalo with that funky mouth. That no. thing is made for catching fish. So I thought that was a cool article. It, if you want, if anybody wants to read it, it is on uh, on our. On Facebook page, it's linked down there. Ryan, go find it. Ryan Goslow shared it. Uh, other thing that I saw, uh, Lance Kirkman did share with us this week. Scott Iper put out a new book, which was A Naturalist Guide to the Lizards of Australia, which is a pretty cool book. Um, there are there's more than just goannas and parentes and stuff. There's lots of lizards in Australia, uh, so that's a very very comprehensive book of all the lizards of Australia. So check that out. Um, and then. One last thing that was shared, and I actually saw this article pop up. It's funny to see reptile stories or reptile pictures pop up on your Facebook feed, and then you realize it's not from a reptile group. It's, That's cool, though. But this was uh, a woman in South Carolina who was killed by an alligator, which is not cool. Don't get me that wrong. That is not cool. That's not no. cool. Uh, <laughs> I like prematurely was like, "That's cool." Oh wait. <laughs> uh, I, I read the article. I looked at a couple things, and from what I can tell. This woman came over to another woman's house uh, to do her nails because nail salons are, are closed right now. She came over. She'd been drinking some wine. 
uh, the woman's house was on the water. We all know you get bit when you start drinking. So. Yes. <laughs> the woman's house was on the water. And from what I can kind of piece together is the woman that came over, saw the alligator, wanted to go get a picture of the alligator, walked down to the edge of the water, because that's the best idea to do. And then, like, was right there next to it, and it grabbed her. Like, she was right next to it. Grabbed her, pulled her in. And then, so the woman at the house screamed. Her husband comes out. They throw a rope out to her to help pull her in. Apparently, she's standing there in, like, waist-deep water and says something along the lines of, uh, I guess I'll never do that again or something, joking, uh, grabs the rope, and then the alligator comes back, grabs her, pulls her under, and that's the end of the story. Unfortunately, the alligator also got killed in this deal, which I think is messed up because the alligator was only being an alligator. Yeah. Uh, you know, if you're going to live on the water in the South, understand alligators exist. And they have a right to be there, too. I don't care how much you like your yard. But this woman, I mean, she went out of her way. She went down there for a picture. Like, take the picture from the house. It's, you don't have to get right next to an alligator to take the picture. I mean, just, like, educate yourself on the animals that are around you and in your neighborhood. Yeah, that one, that one pissed me off. Yeah, I always hate seeing that because the animals always lose no matter what they do. Mm -hmm. And putting them in a situation to fail, you know, we look at keeping dogs and and how many people cause their dogs to be aggressive with what they do, and then it's always the dog's fault. And, uh, you know, I mean... It's just a weird thing because people, we're the same way. You put us in a pressure situation, we're going to react and do something, but we have the ability to explain our actions and explain our our rationale. They don't get that opportunity. They just get, you know, demonized and that's it. Well, and we've all watched National Geographic. We know that if you walk to the edge of the water, that's where crocodiles and alligators are. (laughs) So... It's one of those things where you're like you're safer like jumping out of a boat in the middle of that lake than you are being on the shore. And I'm not yeah. saying either, but you know, they're typically hunting on that shoreline. That's what they're doing. You know, I, I kayak fish and I live in Louisiana, and so obviously anywhere I fish has alligators. And it's always funny folks not from here that are from farther north that don't deal with alligators. They're like, you go out there with them. I'm like, well, yeah. I was like, because if I didn't, I wouldn't get to fish because yeah, they're <laughs> everywhere. They're like, you're not afraid? I'm like, no, they don't. They don't mess with you unless you do stuff in order to make them mess with you. Walking down to the edge of the water and fucking with an alligator will get it to mess with you. Yeah. But if I'm just fishing, 99.9% of the time, that alligator goes underwater and waits till you go by, and then it comes back up behind you and stays over where it was. Like, it's, they're really not, it's, I hate, I hate how much people treat them like they're these huge monsters. You just got to treat them with respect for what they are. They're, they're an apex predator and in their world, in the water, doing, you're not the apex predator. Just accept it. You don't have to kill them because you're not the apex predator. You don't have to, like, go out of your way to get rid of them because you're afraid of them. And so, unfortunately, this alligator had to die because this woman's stupid. But, I mean, if you're going to do stupid things, you get stupid consequences. Yep. Which ties in very well with a video that Justin Smith shared. Yes. And uh, this is of a kid playing with a coral snake. Which I know you watched all of it, James, so that's, go ahead and expand on that. So that's, that video, uh, it's an older video, I think, a couple months old or whatever. But uh, it's a group of kids, and of course kids nowadays have to record every damn thing they do. And so it's a group of these kids, and one kid picks up a coral snake, and he's holding it by the tail. And they're filming it, and they're trying to figure out what it, someone says what it, one of them says what is it. And they say the rhyme that we all know, you know, red on yellow, kill a fellow, red on black, friend of Jack. The kid says the rhyme correctly. 
And you can obviously see the red is touching the yellow. But right after the rhyme, they go, it's red and black. It's fine. It's not venomous. I'm like, what? You're completely ignoring the <laughs> yellow part of the snake. It's like, does the yellow not exist for you guys? Like, do you think it's white? What's going on here? Well, what's funny is there's one kid obviously there that is not wanting any of this. Because he's like, let's just go back to doing what we were doing when we were doing stuff and I hurt myself. Like, he wanted to go back to where he had hurt himself playing around being a kid instead of holding the snake. And yet they're sitting there putting it on their hands. And I'm going to tell you right now, the patience of this coral snake was amazing. Uh, One, as the kid's holding it by the tail, it's never trying to bite. It's trying to get away. They place it on another kid's hand, nothing. He places it on his hand, nothing. It wasn't until he grabbed it mid-body that it finally bit him, and he dropped it. And then the kid begins crying and screaming, and then starts to say he's scared. Um, And I don't know what happened to the kid. Uh, I know some people thought that was dry bite. Some people thought they heard that it wasn't. Either way, uh, the the moral of that whole lesson was you got to teach your kids just to leave stuff alone. Like, the rhyme is great. The rhyme is wonderful. It'll help you identify it. It doesn't mean you need to play with it while you try to identify it. So that that video, that kind of stuff scares me. I leave everything alone, whether I know what it is or not. Like, that's their area, their thing. I don't need to stress out an animal just because I want to take a cool picture. And honestly, that's a jab to a lot of people who do that. Because how many people do you see go out herping and then take pictures of them holding whatever snake, lizard, whatever it might be? It's like, dude, you can take pictures of them and leave them where they're at. They're most likely, I mean, they might run away, but, you know, most likely you will get some sort of picture of them. You'll be fine. Whenever I do, like, outreach programs, I always talk about the best thing you do is just turn around and walk away. Don't pick it up. No matter what it is, don't pick it up. Look at it. Walk away. Um, and obviously, these kids didn't get that get that memo. But that that video also ties into a lot of what I'm seeing on Facebook right now. Because snakes are coming out. They're all over the place. Yep. I've seen so many pictures on, again, on non-snake Facebook pages of snakes. Uh, and then on a lot of snake identification. What is this? What is this? Um, unfortunately, on some of the snake identification pages, they've killed it. And then they're going, what is this? I'm like, well, dead. It's dead is what it is. <laughs> That's a good answer. I and mean, the sad answer most of the time. That's what I say when people send me those pictures. I'm like, well, that's a dead snake. And they're like, well, yeah, well, what kind is it? I said, does it even matter at this point? <laughs> right. <laughs> I mean, you weren't worried about identifying it before you killed it. So why are you going <laughs> to identify the next one? You know how I many you're just going to kill the next one too? I uh, got so excited like two years ago now, maybe. Uh, you know, I've been getting sent snake pictures for 20 years. What is this? What is this? Yeah. What is it? And, and, they're always like, is this a copperhead? Is this a copperhead? Is this a copperhead? Is this a water moccasin? Always. And it never is. And finally, somebody sent me a picture. It's a big, beautiful copperhead. I was like so excited. I'm like, oh, my God, that actually is one. Unfortunately, it ended up biting her dog. Oh, uh, dang. The dog's fine now, but. Uh, I'm sure the snake's not. No, no, they didn't kill the snake. Oh, great. He's pretty understanding. She's not a snake person, but, you know, I just gave her some advice to kind of keep them out of the yard. But they're down in the Carolinas. I mean, they're they're there. We have them here. I just never ever see them. Well, I just always love folks that are like, I'm an animal lover. No, you're not. No. Like, 90% of the time, no, you're not. Because I guarantee you, I can bring you to my house to show you my animals. You won't love them because they're not fuzzy. No. And so well, then they kill it and they tell you, well, I'm just trying to defend my family. I'm like, was it attacking anybody? And like, well, no. I'm like, so what do you defend it? <laughs> Nothing. You know, I posted a picture on my personal Facebook this week. Uh, 
it was a picture, it was a sad picture, it was a picture someone took of a dog, they duct taped its mouth shut, and it basically yeah. said, this is cruel, and then it was a picture of a rattlesnake, like a rattlesnake roundup, where they've sewn the mouth shut, and they go, and this isn't, with a question mark. I'm like, and someone goes, why would someone do that? Someone who didn't know about rattlesnake roundups, was like, what's well, a rattlesnake roundup? And then someone else was like, well, what's a rattlesnake roundup? So we had to explain that, I'm like, yeah, it's as horrible as it sounds. <laughs> it's, it's, it's like a state fair, but you get to kill a bunch of animals, and no one feels bad about it. Yep, they all celebrate it. Uh, but, you know, other on the other side of identifying snakes and how these things pop up on Facebook, I can't stand when someone posts a picture of a snake asking what it is. That part I'm okay with. I can't stand when someone else has to comment what it is, but obviously has no fucking clue. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I'm like, stop. And then when I'll answer with what it really is, and they want to act like I don't know what I'm talking about. The hell? Like some Someone posted a Diamondback water snake the other day. Which are awesome looking snakes. And of course, people start going, it's cottonmouth. I'm like, it looks nothing like a cottonmouth. Not even close. And then like, it's a copperhead. I'm like, what the hell are you seeing that makes you think it's a copperhead? I was like, stop that. Stop just, you do not have to answer everything. If you are not truly someone who, who has studied and knows that thing, whatever that thing is, don't comment. And that goes for everything. Not just snakes. Everything. You don't have to comment just because it's there. But you get... You'll get, uh, what is the snake thing? And then 180 replies. And in there, some of them are correct, but a whole bunch of them are not. So like 160 are usually wrong. Yeah. It's, and some the, of them are so far off, you're like, how did you even come to that conclusion? Because it's not even close. <laughs> I mean, I was like, it's a Diamondback water snake. And someone goes, no, it's not. I'm like, it is. You're wrong. It's What's a water moccasin? I was like, That's, they, they look nothing like that. No. It's not even close. And then you always get the, well, it's got a triangle-shaped head. I was like, well, yeah, when you... That's the shape of a snake head. I don't know what you want the head to be shaped like, but that's not the identifying factor of, like, when we say triangle-shaped head, we mean a fucking triangle, like a rattlesnake. That's not, yeah, you know, especially with water snakes who can flatten their heads. And like, Or yeah. even you'll see it with, like, rat snakes. Their heads are not, it doesn't just round off at the front. Like, But, I mean, the good news is, in that case, mambas aren't very dangerous. So no. just, <laughs> go, go back to the coral snake. Coral snakes are safe. I always also love the... Uh, how do you know if it's venomous? Well, the pupils have slits like a cat. If you're no, that fucking you, they, close. They say, how do you know it's poisonous? That's poisonous. what yes, they would right, say right, in that right. one. <laughs> I'm like, that should not be the identifying factor to know if it's venomous. Like, no one just scoots right up next to it and look at its eyes. Look them in the eyes. They love it. Well, like, especially, especially too, like, I could take pictures of my short tails, the same short tail. I could have a huge round pupil and a slit. Depends oh, yeah. on the light. light. I'm a you are true. Yeah, you are true. <laughs> You're right. You are you are true. <laughs> you are true. <laughs> yeah, it's just uh, I I I love I, all those things posts about how to identify. I'm like, okay, this is all wrong. Everything good. <laughs> but yet, if you try and tell someone that's not the correct way to identify it, because they saw someone else say it or their granddad always said it, you're the idiot. Their granddad's right. right? I'm like, uh. You know, especially like I've kept snakes for almost 20 years. I've been a reptile keeper at a zoo. I, I've got a degree in biology. I've gone out and caught these things. You're right. I don't know shit. I, I know nothing. It's a diamondback, water, moccasin, rattler, copperhead. Yeah. It's, oh. It just, it yeah, the closest you'll get for a wrong answer out of me is like, somebody will send me a picture of a rat snake and I don't know where they are, what locality, what the hell it is. But I'll tell them, like, it's not dangerous. I don't know exactly what it is, but I know that it's a rat snake, so yeah. it's not a deal. They're like, well, you don't know what it is. So how do you know that? It's like, I can't explain it, but I know. That's what I, it is. It's really like, I know it's not <laughs> one of the venomous ones. Yeah. That's always my thing. Like, people are like, 
how, how are you supposed to, because people always want that, that quick, like, how do you identify something if it's dangerous? There's not a quick answer to that. I can't just give you, there's not a cookie cutter answer. There's a, if you're going to live in Louisiana. Leave it alone if it's not dangerous. Oh, that's yeah, that's exactly 100%. what I was thinking. But my Leave it the also, fuck alone. If you're a hunter or a fisherman or an outdoors person and you live in an area, learn the wildlife. Just learn yeah. it. Like, it, it would take you a day just to really look at, in Louisiana we have, technically they, I think they say six venomous snakes, but it's more like five. Just learn them. Look at pictures and learn them. Like, a cotton mouth is obvious. A copperhead is obvious. Now, the only times it's not is when uh, there have been a couple of copperheads found in the state that are striped. That's pretty yeah. fucking confusing. Yeah. But. That would confuse me for sure. And they're pretty. Oh, God, they're pretty. They're gorgeous. I would love to have one of those. Oh, man. The snakes, that would be on my list. Striped copperheads are amazing looking. But it's just. That's it's all a, you guys. No, thanks. All copperheads are. All, I, I always say if, if somebody, if somebody's like, I want a venomous snake, then get a copperhead, please. You're less likely to die. Just <laughs> Get one of them. They, they tend to be pretty laid back, anyways, and especially once they get used to the situation. And then they're not stupid animals, so they, they tend to get used to it. But also, if you do get bit, most people are not going to get affected that bad by that venom. You're going to learn not to get bit again, but yeah, you know, you're, uh, it's not usually life threatening. You know, we used to always say no one's ever died, but I think last year someone died in Alabama. But the person died of anaphylactic shock. They didn't die yeah. from technically the venom; they died from being allergic to the venom. Yeah, yeah, I've always wondered because I'm I'm really really allergic to bees, so I don't know how. Don't get a beak snake. <laughs> no, no, I, I don't have anything rear fang, but you know, I, I I've always been real careful with that stuff just because I don't know how I would react, and I don't want to find out the hard way. Nope. Yeah, that's a bad lesson to learn. Yeah. Meanwhile, you know, I used to have a monocle cold though, so I don't, I don't know. But I, think I can tell you right now you're allergic to that one. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> different about a snake that you know is dangerous versus like a hog nose or a beak snake where in the back of your head you're like, it's no big deal. Well, and and, I think all those animals are different. And we've talked about before, uh, especially with hog noses, they get treated so much in the hobby like they're a corn snake. People act like they're, they're completely harmless. Whereas, yes, they may be completely harmless 80% of the time. But 20% of the time, shit happens. And I've seen some people have some pretty bad reactions. I've seen it too. And, and like, like I said, the guy that died from the copperhead, most people aren't going to die or even lose a limb from a copperhead. They're going to go to the hospital. They'll get a vial or two of antivenom and go on their way. A couple of days and life goes on. Yeah. You know, this guy's having to be allergic. So it's, it's you know, I, I've, again, I always harp on the way that I think we treat rear fang snakes in the hobby as if they're non-venomous snakes. You know, that, 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 I can attest they are venomous. They are venomous. So, uh, but I agree with what you're saying with the hognose, especially. Mm-hmm. Everyone thinks like, oh, they're just so the cute little things, and they are really cute little things. But note that you could actually have a reaction if one were to bite and chew on you. Yeah, I don't think I've ever held a hognose as, as crazy as that might sound. Now, meanwhile, there's pictures of me holding boyga, but it's much. <laughs> <laughs> I, I but like those that. things are real cute, though. I love those. Well, it was an albino up at Nerd. How could I not take it out? It was, it's it was albino. It's harmless. If it's, yeah. Exactly. If, it, if it's <laughs> cute, it's harmless. cancels everything. Yeah, the venom is, like, clear, too. It's... <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, well, like, I, when I had the hog nose, I, and people are going to make fun of me, but I would wear a glove just because I'm like, I really don't want to get bit. Like, I'm not I'm not one of those. And I've said it before. I'm not one of those where getting bit is part of the fun for me. 
And so, yeah, I'll puss out and wear gloves all the fucking time. Uh, I, I don't care. And people can make fun of me like, that's fine. I'm just not getting bit by shit. Because I know some of my snakes will bite. Like my uh, children's python that I have. She's probably going to tag me if I take her out barehanded. Like, hey, I'm going to hold you like you're a corn snake. So I always try to keep like one glove on one hand just so if things get out of hand, I can hurry up and grab her and keep her away from me. Are you talking like medical glove type of no, thinness? No, like, like, no, like leather Okay. Yard gloves. <laughs> like a serious glove. I was wondering because some people are like, yeah, I put a glove on. I'm like, hmm, what? Well, how, how serious are we getting? Right I've got now? like so the, the cheap serious. pair of like leather, like gloves. You get a Lowe's for like working in the garden. Like at the, yeah, garden. Yeah. And they're like the soft leather. I've been blocked on social media for making fun of people in gloves before. I'm not going to lie. That is yeah. Because you're kind of a dick. Well, there's a kid, and he, he's got, like, a juvenile blood python, and he's in, he looks like he's handling, like, a peregrine falcon. I'm like, <laughs> like, what is going on? And he's like, well, I'm trying to build trust. I'm like, how are you ever going to build trust with an animal when you're not, it's not even you holding it at that point. It's not even going to know that it's you. It has no idea. Can't feel your intentions. Like, I've always felt that your hands directly on the animal is going to send that animal your confidence and you're going to be able to feel any apprehensiveness in that animal. And that's the best way to work through that relationship is to let them feel that you're not nervous. If you are nervous, then I guess maybe gloves are a good idea, but it's hard know. just to even pick them up when you have gloves on. So I feel like that <laughs> automatically makes them nervous. I can't do freaking yard work in gloves. Like, <laughs> how people are dealing with snakes that don't want to be touched. I usually glove one hand. Yeah. Uh, so that the other one I can see. And like some snakes, it's just a matter of once I get them out and they've calmed down. And then I'll take the other glove off and I'm using both hands. Uh, but my children's python's always a bitch. Always. Like, it's, she's a dick. So... I'm wearing a glove with her. But most stuff, like my uh, my uh, bread lie that I got, I take it out of the cage with a glove because she's on a perch. It's, I can't really hook her out of there. So I, I use a glove because she's, she's struck a couple of times. But once she's out, I take the glove off and I hold her. Uh, I just, I don't like getting bit. I, I, I'm not going to lie. I'm a bitch when it comes to pain. And I'm okay with admitting that. It's one of the reasons <laughs> I don't have a tattoo. As much as I'm like, I want a snake tattoo. First off, they're expensive. And second, I'm pretty sure I'd stop after the needle hit my arm. I'd have a spot on my arm for the rest of my life. <laughs> one dot. Look at this one dot. That's my tattoo. Like, uh, and I'm a really great though. Go to like a convention. People are showing off their ink. Like, check this out. Look at this dot. <laughs> but I actually got my first tattoo in New Orleans when I was down there. I, I want one. I want one bad of my Brazilian rainbow boa. But I know that to get what I want will take multiple sessions, which is multiple times putting myself through pain. And it's going to cost, because tattoos are expensive now, like $900. Because I want, like, realistic, picture-quality tattoo on my arm. If you get it on, like, your shoulder, honestly, I find it relaxing. I've actually fallen asleep getting my shoulder done. Yeah. I know everybody's different, but that's a, an area that really isn't bad. Like, I have some stuff on, like, the wrist bones that didn't feel real good at all. There's, there's certain areas where it's really grinding on that bone that doesn't feel good. But the shoulders are a pretty safe spot. I just can't do it. Like, my body's weird. I was like, my body doesn't even react to painkillers. Painkillers don't work in my body. I've had to get stitches multiple times, and they'll fill my body up with lidocaine. It'll swell up like a balloon, and then I can still feel every single thing they're doing. Uh, I understand. I have that with dental work. Uh, He's pulled. I could literally feel him pulling. He's like, oh, you just feel pressure. I'm like, no, I can feel you ripping my teeth out. Oh, yeah. No, I, I sliced my thumb open once sharpening a knife, and I had to go. It was actually while I was cutting up meat to feed alligators at the zoo. And so I had to go to the occupational health place, 
for them to stitch it up. Did you know they'll make you piss in a cup before they'll ever stitch your thumb up? No. It's very hard to piss in a cup one-handed. <laughs> just throwing that out there. You didn't uh, say, hey, can I get a hand? <laughs> can one of y'all grab this thing for me? Uh, <laughs> but no, I the guy, he would shoot no shoot the lidocaine. First off, I didn't realize they were going to shoot it in the fucking cut. I thought like, yeah, somewhere up or on the thumb and numb the whole thumb. No, in the cut. And he'd shoot it and then he'd stitch and I'd scream. He goes, oh, you can feel that? Yeah. And so he shoot it again. This happened like five times. So finally I finally said, stop. Just keep stitching. I was like, the lidocaine's not working. I'm not going through both pains. So I also found that's where I found out they can stitch right through your nail. Ugh. Yeah. Once he was done, <laughs> once he was done, I looked down. I was like, holy shit, you went through my nail. It's like, yeah. I didn't know that. <laughs> Gross. That's a fun thing to find out. So yeah, I don't, I don't do well with pain and I'm, I'm okay with that. Like See, the, one, the one snake I would consider, I actually have two snakes I would ever consider gloves with. One, it would be useless because it's my ocelot, Borneo, and he likes to thrash and he always gets me in like the upper forearm or the elbow. Yeah. So it's not going to do anything for me there anyways. And then my big female white lip is a hateful, hateful creature. And uh, I would consider it with her, but she wants to bite my face anyway, so I don't think the gloves are going to do anything for that. <laughs> See, my Samboas are funny because with Samboas, they're not fans of being picked up a lot of the time. Um if you can't really just get them all the way up and into your hands immediately, uh, they'll start to flail. And when they flail, that's like they're going to bite, too. They're going to bite and flail. But once you get them up and in your hands, they're good. They're just not fans of being – I mean, they're big, fat slugs. They'd rather stay on the ground, so they're not fans of being taken up. But once they're up and supported, they're okay. Yeah, some bloods and short tails can be like that. Mine, though, like especially the stuff that I produce, like my holdbacks – I can hold them in every way that I would suggest you don't hold one because it's going to upset them and they just don't care. But I've raised them. They've been here their whole life. Like yeah. the relationship that we have, the working relationship is so good that some of those snakes, I don't think that I could get them to bite no matter how hard I try. Well, it's also tricky getting in like an adult snake. Like if you get an adult, like I went through periods of times where, again, I would, t we talked about keeping a little bit of everything. I would take whatever anybody gave me if they couldn't keep it. So I got in a lot of like adult boas and stuff like that. And I'm like, I don't know you. <laughs> I'm like, I know my snakes I raised from babies, but you're six foot long and I don't know you. So for a little while, we're going to wear gloves just so I have some level of protection if you don't like people. But You know, I think a lot of that, it's like when you get a used car that somebody drove for five years and then you drive it differently, sometimes that messes up stuff in the car because it's conditioned to how that other person drove it. Yeah. Animals the same way. So they're used to how this person picks them up how this person approaches. So the little subtle things that, you know, you don't even think about can throw those animals off. And that's why it's hard when you sell animals and people always want tame, tame, tame. It's like, well, it's tame for me, but I can't guarantee that it's going to be tame for you because you might keep it a degree warmer and that might set it off. You might keep it in a different enclosure. The smells in your house might, there's so many things that can trigger an animal that has been somewhere for years and is used to one thing and now everything changes. And it can also be the opposite, where you have an asshole of a snake and you sell it, and yeah. the person that gets it, it thinks it's a freaking angel. That's so frustrating. One, one of that my kids was so mean. Like, she would chase me around the room, and within <laughs> like three days, the kid sends me pictures with her, like, perched on his head. I'm like, that's great. I'm like, I'm, I'm glad that's working out for you. I really, truly am. <laughs> truly, it did make me happy because the whole reason I got rid of her, I, mean, I loved her, but I'm like, she's not happy here. She's not happy with this environment for whatever reason. 
And I figured a change would be good for her. And he's had her for a while now, and she's fantastic with him. And so that's Yay. totally good for me. She's yeah, beautiful and it stinks because I would have liked to have her, but what are you going to do? Well, it's like I got rid of a, uh, a carpet python. Really came from a friend from college. He couldn't take care of it anymore. And she just, she, when I got her, she was already six foot long. I'm like, there's not going to be any calming you down because I just don't feel like it. I don't, that's a task I'm not taking on. And I kept her forever. And finally, like, you know what? I'm just going to sell her. And so I sold her to the guy. I said, look, uh, she's temperamental. I gave him a heads up before I bought, sold it to her. And he said, okay. And then he sends me a picture just like holding it with it around his neck. I'm like, all right, well, I'm glad I found somebody because it didn't like me. Yeah. Some Sometimes it's just people don't like to hear it, but sometimes a certain person, a certain animal will never click. No matter what you do, something about your relationship just doesn't work for that animal. And you could put in 10 years and you're never going to win. And your friend can come in off the street and pick it up. And the snake's like, oh, cool. You know, it happens. It's not often, but it definitely happens. Yeah. yeah my jungle, my diamond jungle cross hates Terrell and was originally Terrell's. And then I had a blood python that hated me and we switched and it was a match made in heaven once we switched. <laughs> <laughs> Weird. You know, there's no, there's no logical explanation for it sometimes. But sometimes I think too, like, you know, your body temperature and my body temperature could be different. It could be something as simple as that. Like, you know, maybe when I'm holding that snake, it's it's getting 97. And when you're holding it, you're getting 95 or something. And it's just enough that it doesn't trigger whatever it is. I mean, there's so many little things we don't know. Well, we've all heard the, my snake doesn't like men or my snake doesn't like women. And the, and the science part of my brain goes, that's fucking ridiculous. But you hear a lot. Maybe, maybe it's true. So maybe, maybe there's science to it. Maybe there's pheromones and stuff that cause us to think not to like men, not to like women. But you hear that a lot, you know, oh, every time a man holds it, it bites him. Yeah. I've seen that with, like, birds and things like that. I haven't seen it myself with snakes, but I've definitely heard those stories. Um, but, like, I, I, I worked with parrots for a long time, and, I mean, there's birds that just, whatever sex it is, they hate them no matter who it is, and that's it. Yeah, mm -hmm. I, I don't like birds in general. That's <laughs> I'm, I'm not, like again, I'm not a fan of getting okay. bit, and those bites hurt. Oof. Yeah, there's some things that really do, there's those cockatoo, those split beaks, those do not feel good. Well, it's not even like, so, like, the big birds, I've always had much respect for large birds, because uh, my, my uncle had a big blue and gold at one point, and he used to be able to bite, like, those industrial broomsticks in half with one bite. Oh, yeah. Yep. And so I always had very much respect for your larger parrots and stuff. Well, I worked at a pet store when I was younger, and they had one of those open-top parakeet bins. Oh. One of the parakeets flew out. I was like, oh, let me go grab it. I went and grabbed it. Holy shit. That thing they, bites so hard. And they get you like between your fingers and in these little spots that hurt so bad. I, I was like, it's a little bird. It, it can't be that bad. Oh, oh my God. Cool. I yeah. think some of my worst bites were like conures and cockatiels that like got into those spaces and really drove. Like they were really mad. Oh, yeah. Oh, I worked at PetSmart for a while and we sell, sell, sell birds and, uh, if anybody want to buy finches, I'm like, yeah, we'll do finches and doves all day long. But they were like, well, on a cockatiel or some of the conures, I was like, someone else needs to come get this bird. <laughs> I'm like, I'm not reaching in there. Yeah, those beaks are still powerful. And like I said, they find those little spaces to jam them into, and it just yeah. does not feel good. I'll, I'll take little pointy beaked doves and finches that aren't going to do crap all day. But, so yeah, I, birds, when I worked at the zoo, if anybody was ever absent, they're like, hey, someone needs to cover this area. And if it had birds, I was like, look, I'll do everything else someone else do the birds because we had a walk-in conure exhibit i i never walked in there not once because i knew they bite they would bite ears 
And like, oh, yeah. I'm that's, not, I'm not going to get bit. I'm just not doing it. The, the scariest room I ever worked in, we had a, a big room and it had this whole built in like tree and vine system. And it was all like juvenile to mid size iguanas. And there's like 20 of them in there. And that was the scariest place I've ever been in my life because they would just like descend from the trees at you. They were all jerks. <laughs> I just imagine just like tail whipping all yeah, over oh, the place. Every, and the smallest one in there was the biggest piece of crap. His name, we called him Sid. And he was just an absolute little terrorist. He was like all of a foot long in his body. You know, he's probably, you know, say 20, 24 inches with tail and everything. But as soon as the door opened, he would like puff up and get all rigid and he would start whipping everything and he'd run around. I'm like, come on, dude, give me a break. <laughs> I'm going to backtrack and put that on a list of hardest animals to take care of. <laughs> and they're so cheap and every pet store pushes them and it makes me crazy. It's like that's one of the worst pets for 99.9% of people. You're talking yep. six to seven foot of lizard that hates you yep. and can bite, claw, and break your hand with its tail. Needs an expensive diet. It needs lighting. It needs Massive heat. cage. Like terrible yeah, a lot of room. You know, that's something you need to live down in like Florida and have a big like, you know, twelve by twelve outdoor pen for or something, like for one. We had a few at the zoo and the only one you could handle, we had one female in, in the education building that you could hold like a puppy dog. That but we had a male that lived out by himself that you could go in, you could you could service the, the cage, just don't go near him. He'd sit on the branch and stare at you, puff up his head, bob a little bit. Just don't go near them. But yeah, I, iguanas are, you know, they're horrible. They're horrible. And, and the, problem, the thing is, we're sitting here talking about how horrible they are. And there's someone going, well, mine's wonderful. And it's sitting on the couch with them right now as they watch TV. <laughs> like, yeah, one in four are great. Yeah. And guess what? Those are the ones that don't come to the rescue. Trust me. Yeah. Everyone that comes over there has been in horrible care and it's angry. <laughs> yes. And they hold a grudge. Oh, yeah. Big time. We had one. Her name was Cruella. She got out in the winter in New England. We're in Connecticut. And she got out and nobody could find her for like two days. So we found her up in this tree. And it was, it wasn't like dead of winter cold, but it was like 20s overnight and like mid 30s at the high of the day. And she was out there for a couple of days. And this kid climbed up the tree to get her. And as soon as he touched her, she went right after him with full piss and vinegar. I couldn't believe she had anything left in that cold. But man, she was hateful. I think it was more instinct than actual anything else. Yeah, that's always my thing. Like, if you want to, if people out there, if you, people are like, well, I want to go on it because it's a big lizard, get a tegu. Tegus are probably going to be a far better pet yeah. than an iguana. Plus, it's more terrestrial and you don't have to have this huge cage and thing for them to climb. Although most people aren't, they're going to put them in a 20 gallon tank and wonder why they're, you know, they're going to go, well, yeah, they don't live that long. They only live for a couple of years and they only yeah. get like two foot long. Yep. Lies. Oh, yeah. Oh. <laughs> well, I, I've discussed that too with lifespan. Like, I don't think we know the true lifespan of a lot of the stuff that we keep in captivity. I in the wild and in captivity, I don't think we know because we just haven't been keeping properly long enough. And a lot of species we're still not keeping properly. Yeah. Uh, well, I, I've, I've shared this before here or there, but when I worked at PetSmart, people would want a goldfish in a bowl. I'm like, you can't put it in a bowl. Well, I always put mine in a bowl. Yeah, but they die. Well, mine lived a long time. How long was a long time? Six months. I'm like they're yep. supposed to live for thirty years. Like six months is nothing. Yeah. You always had, get, you always get the when you say it's supposed to live for thirty years. Well, mine didn't, and they don't click. It doesn't click in their head. Like, yeah, I know it didn't. <laughs> yeah, it didn't because your care is crap. That's why you killed it. 
Or the, or but the, people don't want to hear that. Or the old turtles only get as big as the tank you keep them in. Yeah. Like, that's I'm gonna keep my like sulcata. I'll keep my sulcata in a ten gallon. We'll be fine. One of the funniest memes that I saw get passed around that was reptile related. It has like this older guy on it, and at the top it has a question. It says like, "Would you like my red-eared slider?" And then it had on the bottom. He's like, "No, I don't think I would." Because <laughs> we've all been offered <laughs> oh, many, like red-eared sliders, or like I love painted turtles. Like they're a native species. Like you took these things out of the wild, and now you're done with them. And now they can't go back to the wild because you've had them for years sitting in a tank. You know. It's like, what the hell? Why, don't take something out of the wild, really, if you don't have to. And if you do, keep it for its life, you know? Yeah. That is a great transition on putting things back into the wild. Yes, I was going to get to that. Uh, gonna, <laughs> that was my next thing. I had it pulled up. Uh, on our page, I posted an awesome little uh, thing from Alabama Wildlife and Freshwater Fisheries Division. They just released 22 eastern indigo snakes into the wild, into the Conecuh National Forest, which now brings the amount released there up to 192 indigos, uh, trying to bring back that population of eastern indigos over there, which is really awesome. And they um, they keep them in captivity. They're born in captivity. They're raised in captivity for two years, and then they release them. So they've gotten some good size on them. Uh, there's a better chance of them surviving. And so, again, there's 192 in this area now. There's a good chance that they're going to come together. They're going to breed and make it back. And this is one of those snakes that it did not die out because evolution said the snake shouldn't make it. It purely died out because big, black, scary snake needs to die. And also, I want to build my house where this forest is, but the snakes live there? Too bad, I'm still building my house, and now the snake has nowhere to live. And so this is really uh, us trying to fix what we fucked up. Um, yeah. And anybody that's ever seen an eastern indigo knows that it's an awesome snake. I mean, it's it's one of the coolest snakes, and people are always like, I want one, and I trust me, I do. But at the same time, I I, I don't want it to shit that much, and they shit a lot. <laughs> so, but I'm just I'm not Coonbird guy in general. I don't know. It's just the everything about them. Like I think some of them are beautiful, and I enjoy like going to other people's and checking them out. But just like everything from the way they handle, the way they move, the way they go to the bathroom, the amount they need to eat, like yes. it's just not my speed. Have you ever held an Eastern Indigo? I have not. Oh my god, they're it's amazing. Pretty impressive, yeah, it's pretty cool. They're amazing. It's just, but again, it's the they eat a lot because it's super fast metabolism, and because they eat a lot, they shit four times as much. Yeah, and it's really smelly. Uh, and and liquidy, and it's 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 you know colubrid shit to the nth degree. Yeah, large colubrids. I'm kind of like because eh, of that, but you know, I, I have the one Thai bamboo rat, and I have to like write on the calendar when to feed this thing because. Every other thing I keep, white lips, olives, blood, short tails, like my water pythons, and while the McLots have kind of a higher metabolism than most other things I keep. But pretty much everything, like, sparingly is the way you want to feed it. And then I have that thing that's supposed to eat constantly, and I have to remind myself because I'm just not used to it. I don't keep everything else on a schedule. I kind of feed everything else, you know, whenever, basically, and just kind of do it that way. Well, I have corn snake babies right now, and I keep having to remind myself, they, they need to eat more than, like, because I have the adults, and my adults can go a couple weeks without eating. I'm like, oh, no, the babies have to eat more. They're corn snakes. Yeah. They're, not, they're not baby boas that I can be like, ah, we'll feed them in a week and a half. We're good. Yeah. Yeah. That's, but that, that article, it's, that's up on our Facebook page. Uh, it's awesome because it's, I'm originally from Alabama, so that's kind of cool. Um, the Conecuh National Forest, I know where that's at. And 
Uh, if anyone is ever in a grocery store and you see Koneka sausage, it is made in Alabama and it's the best sausage you can ever own. So every time I see the word Koneka, my mouth waters a little bit because <laughs> it's amazing sausage. Just, we just, know how you like sausage, so. Well, favorite. Never mind. <laughs> like, finally, I got a jab in. <laughs> so, uh, you really kind of set that one up pretty I know. easy. It's, I, I, don't, I don't care. It's amazing, and I'll take that. It's fine. That, y'all never. Softball right there. That, that sausage is so good. I don't care if y'all make fun of me for saying sausage in my mouth. I don't care. It doesn't bother me. But, anyways. Moving so on. What? let's get into um, the YouTube videos That's that fine. I have picked out because I think they'll go by um, a little bit faster than the last one. Fine, then. <laughs> You're going to do it anyway. We're agreeing. You're just now giving me a hard time. <laughs> All right. Go. All right. So uh, DM Exotics had two videos come out. One was an Indonesia import unboxing, and the other was a Malaysia import unboxing. And really, they're just unboxing videos, um, not anything too exciting, except the Malaysia one. They actually had a cave-dwelling rat snake, which is what, on the last podcast with Billy Hunt, um, we talked about those, and Dave Kaufman had a video out on them that Billy brought up. So I thought that was interesting, that kind of aligned there. And also, he had some really cool colubrids. I know we just kind of like put down colubrids a lot, but <laughs> these ones that he unboxed were really, really neat. So if you go check that out. Um, but what I thought was really interesting is not actually in the video itself, but in the description of the video for Indonesia, he said, amid the current crisis, getting surplus from other countries has been challenging with flight restrictions, acquiring stock, etc." So I thought it was interesting that with COVID-19 and everything going on in the world right now, that that's also affecting the importation, um, which actually also rolls into what I want to talk about with the podcast uh, NPR with Scott Borden, because he talked about with COVID-19, there's a much higher possibility that all of our animals are going to be taken away because legislature and politicians go you know, crazy on, I don't know what wing it is, but over-exaggerate their response. And so because COVID-19 came from possibly exotic animals, that now these laws are going to come uh, and, and put, you know, put laws against having exotic animals completely. And obviously, our animals are under the title exotic animals. So that uh, is an interesting uh, tidbit outlook, I guess, on that with uh, COVID-19 going on. Yeah, yeah. I definitely enjoy listening to that that whole podcast and I definitely enjoyed a lot of the stuff that they were talking about because I'm constantly trying to make people aware of the legislation we're already facing, which is a lot constantly all around the country. And I find that people are in certain areas where there might not be as much going on in the legislative front and they're totally blind to everything that's going around them in the country. And you try to explain it to them and it's like talking to a brick wall. And they don't get that there's consequences to our actions. There's consequences to how we conduct ourselves. But they don't want us to keep these animals. So any excuse for us not to keep these animals, they're going to go after. And I think this is really going to give them a pretty good platform to try to make a case for. Well, U.S. Arc just posted uh, yesterday one for Louisiana. There's a representative, Neil Reiser, who I, I'm going to be sending some emails to at some point. Uh, basically... It's, he's trying to push through this whole thing that will allow them to uh, restrict or not allow us to have non-native species, so exotics. And it's not even rept just reptiles. It's in general. 
and you know he's going to latch on to this whole, well, this all happened from exotic animals, which is not completely true. I mean, it happened from native animals in their native land and then spread to humans. So it wasn't like someone shipped in a sick animal and then we all got it like the outbreak monkey. I mean, that's not how this worked. But I guarantee this coming up right now is going to be attached to this whole COVID-19 thing. Um, and so, yeah, and they've never, they've never needed the the science or anything to support their position with this past legislation. So I don't see why they're going to care if the science supports it now. I mean, they used crap legislation when they they put berms and all that stuff onto the Lacey Act, saying that oh, you know, they used average temps as opposed to lows and highs, which matters more. You know, <laughs> well, you remember and, that map uh, from the uh, from the geological people oh god where they could live up like as far as dc i'm like they can't live in yeah. the middle of florida how the hell are they gonna make it to dc like, have, you, have you ever kept a berm in captivity they can't live in perfect conditions like, like they're, they're, they're freezing to death in the everglades during cold winters and a cold winter yeah. there is dropping down into the 30s for a night not for a month yeah right well you remember they had that guy who was like saying that that anaconda was going to survive the winter in, in freaking Maine. I'm like, no. <laughs> and, like, what sucks, though, is if you don't know, like, just the average person is just going to believe it. Like, oh, he's a scientist. Like, okay. Well, like, what well, he's saying is true. They look logically at their local snakes, and they know they hibernate. They don't understand that these snakes can't do that. Yeah. Well, and, and, and the culture that we have, our culture, it's very easy for someone trying to outlaw exotics or outlaw snakes to get people on their side because – they don't know. And what they do know is what, you know, movies and TV has shown them that all these animals are evil. Like this woman that got killed by the alligator. You know, I'm sure in the area, people are going to want all the alligators killed when it was just being an alligator. Like it's not, so it's, it, it drives me nuts that the people that get to make laws don't know shit. And it really bothers me when you see some of these people talk and realize they're not as smart as you thought they were. Like, they're, they're, wow. they're a governor, they're a representative. You're thinking, they should be intelligent. And then you hear them talk and go, oh, shit, they're stupid. Yeah. <laughs> but they have but power. Then, but then you have to remember, you go on, say you go on social media for all of 10 minutes, the percentage of stupid people you see is overwhelming, and those are the people that are voting for the people to represent them. And so these people that are saying stupid stuff speaks to them, and then they vote for them. And we all get screwed. You know, I think about with how big social media is right now. When I volunteered for the zoo, we were always, you know, warned that there could be PETA people or the Humane Society people, all these different lobbyist people that are like undercover waiting for us to mess up because I gave tours to members and everything. So sometimes there could be, you know, a PETA member that's listening and eavesdropping on my tour. And if I say anything that they could possibly twist, they will. So it gets me thinking like we have all these Facebook groups and we think it's a safe place, but it really might not be a safe place. And so think about what you're posting in these groups and just, imagine that there's at least one person that's going to see it that's with PETA. Well, that's why in every group, we'll, uh, you'll always see a lot of people, and I'm one of them, that say, do not post live feeding videos. And I get it. It's nature. It's how your animal lives. I mean, I, I don't feed anything live, but I, I get all the sides of the person that's posting it, but the negative far outweighs the positive. 
because someone from PETA or um, Humane Society will take a, a snippet of a snake eating a live mouse to talk about how cruel we are to animals, yeah. even though it's well, just it's natural. How often do these people post those videos and they're laughing and yeah. they're, you know, and not all of them are laughing like at the expense of the animal, but that's the perception to somebody that doesn't know it. And sometimes they are doing that. And, and it really hurts us. And one thing that I drive into people, and I've had this argument so many times and I never win because you can't fix stupid. But I, I tell people all the time because they're like, well, we need to stop caving to sensitive people. And I'm like, we're not caving to sensitive people. We're protecting ourselves because we're the ones that have something to lose. They don't have anything to lose. If we keep our animals, they lose nothing. But if we lose our animals, we're screwed. So I always tell them, when you, when you post these things, let's imagine a scenario where you're 100% right and we shouldn't cave to these people. We should keep posting feeding videos. What do we gain? A couple of likes on social media, a couple of comments, that's it. But if you're wrong and I'm right, we lose everything. So is it worth that gamble? And I don't think that it is. Well, and public perception is a very strong thing. So it doesn't matter how right you are. It doesn't matter how factual you are. I mean, just look at – it's not just nice. Look at everything nowadays. It yeah. doesn't matter. I mean, look at how many people still say global warming is not a thing, no matter how much evidence we have of it. Public perception, if, if the right loud person says it, that's a lot more power than actual facts. Oh, yeah. yeah you could go pick any anything, any subject and go make something up right now, get enough people to share it on social media, and within a week, it's like on the news, and it's it's true, and it's, it's crazy. Yeah, it's absolutely ridiculous. Well, and like I said, yeah, it is. people have got to realize that, you know, so you talked about, um, the big thing with Damalier and all that, it, and they've set up for years that maybe Indonesia shuts down, you won't be able to import stuff. And so you've got these other people, say boa people or corn snake people, people that they're they're not really importing a lot of what their species is, going, well, whatever, we have them already. That's not the thing. The thing is, the way legislation works is it works by getting a foot in the door. Everything is to get a foot in the door. They, mm-hmm. they attack the, the easiest thing to attack, and once they're in, they go for everything. And yep, so absolutely. your leopard gecko, yeah, we may not, may not be importing leopard geckos, but the moment they shut down import from Indonesia, that same person's going to go, all right, now let's go with all exotics. Well, if, if you remember when they were going after the Laciac, boas were originally on there. And yeah. the only reason they pulled boas off of there is because Petco and PetSmart were going to go after them, and they had a lot of capital to go after them and they didn't want that fight. So they backed off of those animals for now, but don't think they're not going to revisit that later. Yeah. That whole Lacey, I think was ridiculous in the whole Florida. I mean, what was it? Florida started outlawing species of anaconda that we don't even have in captivity. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, what the hell? All those Benny anacondas running around. You know, <laughs> got tons of them. But got a whole- <laughs> well, another thing to point out too, um, that doesn't so much have to do with laws but actually was brought up on the podcast, the NPR um, podcast with Scott as well, is that if we stop importation, like uh, they made a point that uh, if we stop ball pythons from being imported, because we have so many here and it's not a big deal, we have a surplus, we'd be fine, we have enough. Um, Steve Tillis brought up that because of the economy out in Africa where they're getting these ball pythons from, that it's likely that the ball pythons will actually go extinct if we're not importing them because they lose the purpose to collect them and bring them to us. Like they don't yeah. care if they resource. reproduce. Yeah. And they'll end up 
eating them. And that's survival. I'm not saying, you know, there's right or wrong in this. It just is what it is, right? So if that happens, you know, Indonesia, we're losing so much land and, you know, all over the world, we're losing so much habitat for these animals. So if we, we don't get them into the hobby, then we might not ever have them, which kind of is a segue is, which why I kind of, it's so weird that I think of my question in the group, I said before I listened to NPR and then it came up in NPR and it was really weird. Um, but anyway, um, Scott brought up that, and, and Eric, obviously, and Owen, we're all talking about. Well, what was that? <laughs> and Owen, like he's not important. Look, he may not, he may not be important, but we can't say it out loud. <laughs> no, he was important to this conversation as well. Um, but I know Scott and Eric were specifically kind of going back and forth on this. But giving people that are more capable the quote-unquote harder animals to breed. Um, and they brought up white lips, which, Dan, I know you have, so I don't know if you have any comments on that. Would you be willing to give your animals to other people so they could successfully breed them in the hobby? It would have to be the right person, and it would have to be a move that makes sense. Um, because the thing with white lip pythons, at least based on our understanding, is it takes several years for them to acclimate to your house before you're ever going to have a chance to successfully breed them, mm -hmm. which is why so few people have had success. Because people get into it, they think, yeah, they're cool, they're beautiful, they're fun, until you actually handle them and realize how much they suck. Um, <laughs> in fairness, my male is awesome, my female just sucks. But I'm at a point now where I don't know that I'll ever even pair mine up because the female is so reactive and so nasty that I fear she's going to kill him. Um, and I really like him, so it's hard for me to risk him with how much I like him. Now, I'm going to, if I do get to the point where I'm going to pair them, obviously I'm going to go about it in the safest way that I can, uh, but at some point you have to leave them unattended. I can't sit there at the cage side for, you know, two or three days at a time. It's just not plausible, and I know, you know, you talk to people and they go, well, she's reactive to you. It doesn't mean she'll be reactive to another snake. But she's actually gone after her water bowl. She's gone after herself. Right? She's bitten herself several times because her tail moved and she <laughs> caught the reflection and she went after it. Wow. Like she's so reactive that if she's going after herself, and I've literally watched her fight with her own body because the one instinct she's trying to coil and kill this item that she's grabbed and the other instinct, she's trying to pull her tail away because she can feel the pain. So she's actually pulling on herself. And like the only thing I can do is shut the room lights off and walk away because if I try to touch her at all, it just triggers more, you know, more of that reaction. But if she's that way with herself, I'm certain she's going to be that way with another animal in her space. But if I could find someone capable, it's, it's plausible that I would be willing to do it, um, especially for the benefit of the species. But it would have to be somebody like Ryan Young who's had success with them and can do it. But I think he would tell you, as well as anybody, he's going to have to have them for three or four years before he's going to have any luck with them. Yeah, yeah. And there's a lot of um, the harder species that we're, we're speaking of. Um, a lot of those are species that you need to keep for years before they actually acclimate. And then if, if you only keep them for a year and it's not working out for you and you sell it, and then that other person only keeps it for a year because it's not working out, right? you, know, there's, you, you need to give them the, the time, you know? And, and some people just don't really want to put that in. People don't have patience in general now. We live in a society where everything's instant. You need something, you get it delivered. You want this, it's right on your phone. So they don't have the patience to get into these pro projects, which is why 
I try to tell people, it's cool that you want to breed, and I get it, and it's tough because we need less people to breed, but it's also, how do you not be an elitist when you tell people, well, I'm breeding, but you shouldn't. But I have a passion for these animals beyond just breeding them. I've kept them for a long time. They're, they're pretty much my entire life now. It, when I travel, my work schedule, everything revolves around my animals. Mm-hmm. Um, but keep the animals for five or ten years before you start breeding. Make sure that you have a passion for what you're doing. Because life changes, things go on, you think it's going to be exciting, and then you realize, like, you're just a glorified poop cleaner 95% of the time. That's what we do. Yep. Try to act like we're cool, but all we do is clean poop. Well, and I think one thing, so we're talking about some of these species that are a little harder to breed, which, when it's a little harder to breed, also tends to come along with the, it's a little bit more expensive than a regular, than a more common species. And so a couple things play in there. Someone spends, how much is a a white lip, like? I, I think they're going to be more expensive right now. Uh, I got a really good deal on my male, but my female, I paid a thousand dollars for it, uh, a little bit more. But she was also a full-grown adult, and she's a monstrous animal. Uh, the male, I think I paid around six hundred for, but he he's awesome, so that was a really really good steal. So I think the problem is they see this, they they you know invest a thousand dollars in an animal, or maybe fifteen hundred, two thousand dollars in a pair, um, and then what happens is. Part of the brain says, I need to breed these so I can make that money back, which, I mean, you've got to accept that if you're getting an animal, you may not make that money back. I know we, we buy animals with the intention of, I spent this, I can make this, but still. And then the other problem is they've spent $2,000 on this pair of animals, and then somebody who breeds them on a regular basis uh, posts a new clutch online, and they see that and go, well, why aren't mine doing that? And they don't understand that that person's had those animals for seven years, eight yeah. years. You just got yours, you know? But in their head, mine should do that. And then when it doesn't do that in the first year or two, they sell it again. And then the next person does the same. And so it it's the system of, again, like you said, people have got to find patience. You've got to have some yeah. patience, especially in this hobby. Patience is a huge thing in this hobby because right now I'm going insane because my Samboas are literally never going to give birth. <laughs> well, like me, I, I love Bolins. I would love to work with them. But I can't – first of all, I'm not wealthy enough to buy them, period. <laughs> But even if I had the money, like those animals would have to be something that I'm looking to produce. And if I can't get white lips and olives and all these other things to produce, and I have no business messing with those because those are a step above, you know, the, I have southern white lips, by the way. People are probably listening thinking, you pay $1,000 for a northern? No. <laughs> um, I, I have southern, so it's, it's a little different. They're a little harder to come by and a little harder to breed. Well, and you'll get people that feel like, well, the, whatever. I want a Bolins for a pet. And I get that. If you have the money you want to spend it, or a white lip, so then white lip for a pet. I get that. But if if you truly want it as a pet because you respect the animals, you love these kinds of animals, you got to understand that right now, those animals may not be great pet animals. Because if they yeah. exist in captivity, they need to be with somebody who can propagate them and get more. And then once there's more, get one as a pet. Right yeah, now. that's like the boat that I'm in with uh, with Bolins especially. I want one, of course, they're beautiful, but I would want one for a pet. And I know right now, for one, the price tag for a pet, no. Um, yeah. <laughs> and two, like you said, there's not enough, you know, people consistently producing them in captivity. So until that was happening, I wouldn't feel right to even have one just as a pet. Well, yeah, someone Plus, someone buys a big female white lip, southern white lip, and they this is my pet. You're now taking a breeding female out of the gene pool. Right. So. I don't know. It's kind of. I feel like that's kind of controversial in a sense because 
this is like a pet hobby and not everyone needs to be a breeder. You know, so it's like we're we're saying the exact opposite, but at the same time, we're just trying to establish a species so it needs to be in a self reliant hobby. Like we we don't want to have to take these animals out of the wild. And in some cases, we can't because yeah. we can't get to them. But in order for it to truly be a hobby, we have to find a way to reproduce these for the future hobby. It's not like it can be a hobby this year and then when they all die in. 15, 20, 30 years, we no longer have the hobby for that animal, whatever it is. It's tough, though, too, because you have to think, even if these laws stay, and, and, and I agree with you, like, I don't like the idea of importing animals and doing all that, but as, you know, April mentioned and how, how Steve talked about, I actually had a conversation with Kevin one time about this uh, a few years ago, and he was really the one that kind of opened my eyes to the whole thing, but when you have these animals, even if it's something as simple as a savannah monitor or a ball python or blood pythons, whatever it is, where they're getting exported for the pet trade, it puts a value on these animals that's different. And so then even people that don't necessarily, you know, sell them or deal with it, they start to respect it because it has a value to their economy and their country. And so if you cut that down completely, there's probably a lot of species that are going to suffer, not just ball pythons. It's going to be big time because now, you know, some of that money that they make off of selling those animals to the pet trade goes into conservation. It goes into buying land to put aside so they're not logging there. They're not doing all these things. When that disappears, that economy has to get that money from somewhere else, and it's probably going to be at the animal's expense. Well, the two of y'all are bloods and short-tailed people, and, and your animals specifically are skin trade animals. And, mm-hmm. and a lot of the really cool-looking snakes that y'all have now in your, hobby, in your part of the hobby exist because they were collected for the skin trade, and then they realized it's really cool this person over here will pay me this much if it's alive. And now it becomes a pet trade right. animal. And, and I think as long as I honestly think if you take the way, and we'll go back to alligators. If you take the way we handled the alligator situation where farms now go out and collect alligator eggs out of the wild for getting alligators to put into for food and boots and all the stuff that people get upset about, but it is what it is. If we take that system, because 10% of whatever they take out of the wild has to go back into the wild. Which means that they're not just taking all these babies out of the wild, raising them and killing them. They're taking them out of the wild, raising them, putting 10% back, and replenishing that wild population. So if we do that with ball pythons, we tell them, yeah, we're still going to import them. But put 10% back in the wild or with the blood pythons. That's that's conservation. That's that's the important thing. And I think that system works. And it's being done in certain places. Um, And and people 10% and think, well, that's low. But the reality is that nest of babies that hatch probably less than that survives to adult oh, yeah. breed anyway. So those couple of years head start and captivity puts them in a better position to succeed anyway. So that 10% going back is worth, you know, probably more than if you just left them alone. You know, and like- then here's another thought about um, conservation efforts. Most people put their money towards things that are cute and fuzzy and have eyes and they're like, oh, right? So if you have an animal, like say a blood python, figure out what cute and cuddly animal lives in their same habitat. For us, it'd be like the orangutan. And yep, support that animal because then you're indirectly supporting your reptile as well. So like I have, I'm going to be getting um, a life insurance policy where if I die, my money goes to the orangutan foundation. Because I know that is going to indirectly help the species that I love. So, a little side note. Kill you for conservation. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, no. Rainforest got cut down. If I die, Dan did it. (laughs) 
your orang- <laughs> your orangutans, okay? <laughs> Next video pops up on YouTube of an orangutan fighting off a bulldozer. Dan's like, oh, it's time to kill April. They need some money. <laughs> I got complaints. <laughs> I like put a target on my damn back. <laughs> back indirectly. <laughs> but, um, but yeah, another thing, too, when you're talking about the cute and cuddly thing, you look at a lot of legislation that's going down right now and that's being you know pushed through. It's a lot to prevent uh, hands-on animal programs or animal programs that are coming to schools and things of that nature, and, and they're doing it wide-sweeping with all exotics. But the only way to get mm-hmm. people passionate about stuff is to let them have an experience with it. And, yes, there's the one random person that never has an experience and gets passionate, but most of us that got into animals, it was from someone like Steve Irwin and his passion and, and, and that kind of thing, or you know the people that came to our classroom with birds of prey or came to our classroom with reptiles, whatever it is. So I try to do that stuff as often as I can because those are the people that, that have that experience. And the same thing with zoos. People hate on zoos, mm-hmm. but a zoo gives people that opportunity. And maybe that one or two or three animals, and if you want to say they're suffering, which I really don't feel that they are in 99% of cases, but if you want to say that, well, even if that's the case, that one or two suffering to help protect thousands and thousands in the wild would be worth it anyways. Well, uh, but I don't feel that animals at zoos are suffering. They have pretty nice enclosures to stay in. Well, and I, I obviously I worked at a zoo, and I used to always say because because I hate Peter because Peter thinks that we shouldn't own anything. Uh, but but I mean, think of a lion. An inner city kid will never see a lion. No. But if that inner city kid takes a school trip to the zoo, and they see this big majestic lion sitting there, they now have a connection, and maybe later in life they start helping save. Lions, tigers, bears, oh my, whatever they save, because of that, had they never seen that animal in person, it, it's such a huge difference between seeing a nature documentary on TV, you oh, know, it's so removed from that, to going to a zoo and being on the other side of the glass from a now crocodile. Like that's, you go from seeing this animal pull down zebras on TV thinking, and a lot of these kids, that might as well be fiction. When they yeah. see that stuff, it might as well be fairy tales that they're watching because in their head it doesn't click that that's, that's real life. But if you can put them in contact with this stuff, face-to-face with it in real time, then it changes the way they look at stuff. And, and that's why I enjoy doing outreach stuff as well. I was one of those rare kids. Like when I was, By the time I was four years old, all I was reading was nonfiction on animals. I was always obsessed with anything animal-related. I was terrified of snakes and, and things like that, but I still would watch shows. I'm still terrified of spiders. I don't think that's ever going to change. Um, but that I was that rare person that had that passion without that experience. But every time they came to our school with anything, you know, I was front and center and very excited about it. I actually got in trouble when I was in like third grade because I organized and collected money to like save manatees, and we were going you know, there was that save the manatee thing. So I organized. And the principal, we had a, a substitute principal, and we made the mistake of asking him to donate. And he's like, I have to check and make sure this is okay. And he like looked in the rules and was like, you can't solicit money and blah, blah, blah. So I had to find every person that donated money and give it back to them. But like, that's how passionate I was even in third grade. Like, I, that's what I wanted to do was help animals however I could. Well, I remember fifth grade, the guy coming to school with the big python and snapping turtle and like they had the big thing, and they bring you into the cafeteria slash auditorium, and you went to watch. I remember that, and then shortly after is when I discovered Steve Irwin, and and I'd always had a thing for for animals in general, but that I mean that was that connection. I saw, I saw him in, in real life. I was like, that's awesome. Yeah. 
Yeah, I remember there's a lady that used to bring this owl named E.T. I was probably in like second grade, and I still remember the owl's name and everything, you know, and she would bring him in, and she would bring in a bunch of birds of prey, but he was always the one that like everybody's like, oh, it's E.T. Like everybody loved him, you know. Um, and so I remember that, and that was, you know, almost 30 years ago, and I could still vividly picture sitting on the on the auditorium floor because we our auditorium was basically our gym too. I went to a really small school here. Um, so we would just all sit on the floor there and she would come in and bring these birds of prey. And, um, and I will remember that for the rest of my life. So it definitely makes a difference. So, yeah, I, I enjoyed, I watched those videos from Dan Mulary. Just, I'm, again, I'm not a huge unboxing person, but he's bringing over cool stuff. I mean, the one he showed from Indonesia had, uh, the pop one, a big old pop one Python. Huge. Uh, Whoever gets that. Yeah. Dude, let us know and give us pictures because that was a that's also one. like my favorite. But yes, it's huge. I'm not into the unboxing either, but somebody like Dan, I'll support any time because as far as importers go, he's probably the best of the best. Hundred percent um, agree. So I would I would rather support him any way that I can. If I was going to buy an import animal, I would go through him hundred uh, percent. I'm not going to name drop and, and shit on people, but there's people that are the polar opposite. We of we, we know. Yeah. <laughs> and Dan, too, um, if you go to the shows on the West Coast, he's normally there, like, at the super shows and stuff in California, because um, that's where he lives. He lives in L.A., I believe, um, or in that area. Anyway, um, he's a really, really nice person just to talk to, and even if he knows you're, you're not going to end up being a sale, he will still take the time to conversate with you and answer any questions that you have about any of his animals. And what's great, too, is he really wants you to be successful with what animal you get from him. So if he has any tips or anything, he is there, you know, with whatever he can do to support you to be successful. So that is why I like him so much. Support Because the more people like that you support, the more they can do business. And the less you support the other side of things, then they either need to change to adapt or they can't do business anymore. The problem is, is too many people just care about dollars and cents and nothing else and it's yeah. kind of game. it's like i think eric burke says vote with your dollar doesn't he say yeah. that something like that <laughs> garrett say that everybody is i say it because it's, it's absolutely what we all need to do yeah better hobby then we all need to even you know and I, I have videos on that on my youtube channel where it's you know um the the concept of value because you might be paying a hundred dollars more for what's basically the exact same animal but there's value in that in the person that you're supporting, how they support the hobby, how they represent the hobby, and what you get from that person as far as being able to send them a message when you have a problem, they're, they're going to respond to you. A guy like Dan is going to help you. Some of these other importers, as soon as the sale is done, they don't know who you are anymore. Yep. So that's Sad my, truth. That's my transition into my YouTube video for the, for the week, because uh, it's also by someone named Dan. Oh, I hate him. <laughs> He's the it's, worst. <laughs> it's from, if you look on YouTube, it's from Dan Magano uh, Snake. It's on eggs. You had one out this week about egg cutting. And the reason I, I liked it was because April's first time on the show, uh, actually, we covered this topic. And it was nice to see that you're also anti-egg fucking. Yeah. Uh, I want to put like a note out there. Jay Brewer is a very nice man personally. I'm sure. I just want to put that out there. I have nothing against him as a person. He's an he, amazing man. But he finger fucks his eggs. Yeah, and it's disturbing. Yeah, uh, I don't really I, like I that. You can watch that and not get your stomach turned because it makes me so sick. 
And especially someone like him, like you have a responsibility to hobby. The hobby has given you a life that's, you know, beyond what you imagined. Give something back and like be decent. Even if you do that, don't put it on video. Don't put that out there. Well, you see sometimes when they when they stick the finger in there and yank it out, the snake does not oh. look fully formed all the way. It doesn't have that perfectly not round, but you know that muscular looking body. It looks yeah. very limp. It looks like it needed a day or two to to kind of ridge it up some. And you're just like, that can't be good for it. Like, you're, there's still a lot of yolk in there that you're pulling out with it. And you see some of those, it's just, I don't know how you can do it and go, yeah, this is right. And I get the problem is so many people see that and they go, well, he's doing it. That's the way you do it. And- well, look, look at the communities. Look at the short tail community. And I would say a good portion of the short tail community either doesn't cut or, you know, does the slip thing you know, very casually, you don't see chainsawed eggs, but look at the retic community and Jay's oh. a pill that and everybody's chainsawing these eggs. The whole top is off the thing. It's like, what are you doing? Some ball pythons, they do it too. Oh yeah. Yeah. Got, oh, this is see such what it an, looks like. an embarrassing confession on, um, well, it's not so much towards me, but on my Facebook page for designer exotics, like six years ago, Terrell and I went to our friend's house and one of the, one of his ball pythons pipped. And at that time it was when, um, oh goodness, like the bells were really popular and this is like six years ago. So that was like the thing you wanted then. Um, anyway, for subject, (laughs) I had to produce my own and I, I, I did a, uh, pastel butter to a butter. I got nine eggs. I got none. I was so mad. Damn. (laughs) The, the, the gods were not, uh, Yeah, and Nine eggs, I'll definitely hit a couple. Tumbling no. on that sentence. Um, <laughs> but one of the very first videos, anytime I go to the, that page myself, I don't know if, if you go as an outsider, not an admin, if you see the same thing, but it is literally the first video is egg cutting in like, like seriously huge windows. And I'm just like, oh my gosh. But I like, I, I want to keep it on there just because of the history of where designer exotics has come, you know, and just the different memories that I have from it. But I'm like, oh, that's really embarrassing that that's like the first thing you see on my page. The <laughs> only pictures or anything that I've removed of my personal content from the past is stuff that was feeding related. Mm. I didn't do it to hide it, but I just did it because I don't want to negatively impact the hobby. So I told people, like, yes, I understand why you want to do that, because when I first started, I thought it was cool. I checked this out. Look at this. And, and you know, I cut eggs in the beginning, and I was cutting at, like, day 52 when I started with ball pythons because the person that mentored me told me that's when you should cut, and I didn't know any better. And so I get why people do that, but what drives me crazy is I talked to people. I got the common sense and fixed it. These other people, you just hit a brick wall, and they don't want to listen. And it makes yeah. me nuts. Well, but my I try to be objective and I try to show, you know, different opinions. I'll state my opinion, but I try to say everything like with egg cutting. You know, if you don't cut at all, you know, I, I listened to Nick Mutton talk on NPR and he talked about how fragile egg teeth are and how a lot of times, you know, an egg tooth will fall off before the baby's done pipping. And it's nothing to do with the quality of the animal and all that. So I get that. And that gives me a legitimate argument of why people would cut. But that's not the reason they're cutting. They're cutting because they're impatient and they want to see what's in there. Yeah, they want to see if it's yeah. white. Is it white? Does it have stripes? Yeah. Is it purple? They want to see if they hit the odds, right? Because if you're if you're just cutting to make sure it doesn't get out, then you're just slitting, and you're not going to see what's in the egg with that little slit. But if you're drop topping the whole top of the egg, then 
you're looking to see what's in there. You're not doing it to make Look, sure the baby. You could down. just be like me and have snakes that give live birth. Because the only way I can see shit early is if I cut the snake open. So <laughs> just rip her open and peek in there. Look, I'm just, I'm just, <laughs> I'm just doing the same thing as y'all. I just slice the mom open, just seeing what I have. Picturing Ace Ventura <laughs> in the second one where he's climbing out of that. <laughs> oh my goodness. <laughs> uh, yeah, I just it's, but again, uh, I, I touch on it a lot. Jay is seen as the expert because he has a lot of followers. And don't get me wrong. I'm not saying he's not an expert at what he does. But what I'm saying is that he does some things that I think the hobby, sh- that shouldn't happen in the hobby, like it, it, that. It, too, because he keeps some of his snakes obese and he's lost snakes from obesity. So it's like, wouldn't you learn? But I, I think sometimes with some of those guys, because it is a business, the business is pump out as many babies from as big of a female as you can for a few years and then replace them with the next big thing as opposed to keeping all your breeders for 30, 40 years because that's not yeah. profitable yeah. for them to keep those animals. And But imagine I keeping 18-foot breeders for 30 years. Well, I, I get it, but it's also that that's one of the, the things that I hate about the hobby is you get like a used car mentality, but these are living creatures and they adjust to an environment. And, you know, even people that sell their breeders down the road when they're not breeding them anymore, it's like, you know, this animal lived with you for 15 or 20 years. It, you know, broke its back for you, did everything you asked of it. And now that it's not making you any more money, you just want to ship it away. And I'm not saying you can't ever get rid of, you know, an animal like that, but, People just get rid of it to whoever pays the highest dollar. I would say find somebody that's going to be a really good pet home that's going to give that animal a great quality of life if you're going to do that. I got really sad because I sold um, a striped matrix that was HET T negative well, like six months ago maybe. And I saw it back on Morph Market. I was like, oh. That hurts my feelings every time. I had somebody years ago that was like, we're going to breed Borneos. They were all gung-ho. I sold them this pair, including this male that I absolutely loved. And months later, they were both up for sale. And they didn't even contact me and tell me. I saw, you know, through another thing. And it's like, you guys literally sold me on how much you're into this. And you gave up after six months? Like, it was going to take four or five years before those animals were breeding. So how did you have this plan that far ahead? And all of a sudden, six months later, you're, you're dumping the animals. That, that makes me crazy. Part of me wants to contact him and be like, is everything okay? Did she not do well? Like, is there an issue? Or you just don't want her anymore. Like yeah. you could come to me if there was any issue with her not getting started. Well, cause she was doing fine over here so I could help you. I think every one of us have gotten rid of an animal at some point that we thought was going to be a part of a project and things change. Oh yeah, for sure. But, but there's a difference between the time frame. Like most of those animals in my case were like years down the road. And I was like, all right, I really don't have, what I planned for this animal anymore. It wasn't a couple of months later, you know? Yeah. It made me sad when I saw it. I was like, that looks familiar. I was like, wow, someone bred something that looks just like mine. I'm like, ah, shit, it is mine. (laughs) It's it's funny because I felt like I made the big time in the hobby a while back. Um, There was a snake that I sold to somebody and, you know, they ran into a situation which was legitimate. They have a family, things went wrong. They had to raise some funds. So they ended up putting the snake for sale. Now, I wasn't aware of it, but they put it up for sale just on, like, their local Craigslist in Florida. And I had two people send me messages like, hey, I'm pretty sure you produced this snake, didn't you? It looks like something you produced, and it was. And it was like, wow, I made the big time. Like, people are scouring the Internet and finding stuff that I would have never seen, you know? 
so he doesn't recognize that it's yours. <laughs> yeah, they were like, oh, I, I just know nobody else had, you know, this specific morph like that. It looked that nice. And it was. It was one that I produced and sold, and I ended up messaging the person, and that's how I found out the whole situation. He was a little embarrassed about it, but it's understandable. You have kids, and, you know, their car broke, and they had to get their car fixed. You know, shit happens. We're not yeah, all... Yeah, that's what I'm torn. I'm like, do I do I reach out to this guy or just let it be? You know, I'm like, eh, I don't know what to do. It's been it's been a week, and I haven't reached out to him yet, so that so far is where my decision has landed. Right. Like, the people but I was talking about getting upset with, they were still actively acquiring more animals. So, mm. the same situation. There's always... You know, I don't like to jump to conclusions, but once you find out what's going on, that's when I get upset or don't get upset. Yeah, 100%. So, Dan, let me ask you, since you've got a Facebook channel, you've got several videos, what kind of response... Did you say a Facebook channel? Not Facebook. Yeah. Um, oh, my God. <laughs> he's, he's old, <laughs> April. Don't forget he's Look, old. I am old. I have Facebook pulled up, and I meant to say YouTube. You have a YouTube channel. Do you get... What kind of replies do you get from people to your videos? Do you get many? Um, yeah, over, I would say every, every video has comments on it and, uh, overall the reception has been pretty good. I am an impatient person because of Facebook mostly. Like you share a video on Facebook, it's easy to get a lot of views on that video. Uh, YouTube's not as easy as a platform, at least I've found, uh, same with Instagram, which really frustrates me sometimes. And, uh, anybody that follows me on Instagram knows I will straight up harass my Instagram followers if it pisses me off. <laughs> April's probably seen it a few times. Yes, it's annoying. <laughs> I don't care. I know. <laughs> I'm an unapologetic person. I'm a nice guy, but I'm unapologetic. Um, but, yeah, I found the reception to be pretty good. The, the thing to me that makes me laugh, I don't have anything more than, like, one thumbs down on any video. But some of the videos that I got thumbs down on, I'm like, what are you thumbsing down here? Like, the ones that I expected to get some negative feedback got none. And then, like, meet the collection videos where I'm just, like, showing off a particular animal will get a thumbs down. And I'm like, what are you even thumbs down in? Like, it's a really nice animal, and I'm putting it in a positive light. Boo, okay. hell, you show me what you have. Don't show me that stuff. You dare, you know? But then, then I'll have videos like the egg cutting or videos like uh, feeding videos and why we shouldn't be sharing that. Like, those are the ones I expected to get feedback. My enrichment video where, you know, I didn't basically call enrichment crap, but I said that some of the people that think everything needs to be naturalistic is crap because the reality is when we go out herping, you flip over unnatural stuff and you find snakes under there in the wild that have the choice because they're looking for functionality over, well, this isn't naturalistic. I'm not going to go in this shed or I'm not going to go underneath this you know, piece of metal out in the field because it's not natural. They don't care. As long as it provides the function they're looking for, they'll use it. And so I think these people get into, you know, all this enrichment stuff where if you're not keeping naturalistic, they look down on you. But, you know, paper substrate or other substrates or all different things can function in the same way of what the snake is looking for without having to have that look that's essentially just for us. It's not really for the animals. So I expected a lot of negative feedback on that. I don't think I got any thumbs down that video. It blew my mind. That's awesome. And I just want to say from someone that has watched all of your videos and knows something. Okay. I haven't watched all of them. I will take that back. I've watched most of them though. No, I'm, but I'm sure you are. The, the information that he has not only applies to short tails, but other snakes as well. He talks about genetics on some of his videos. 
they're very thoroughly done and well thought out. Um, he articulates the ideas and thoughts really well. Which so, is fine because I just wing them. But <laughs> <laughs> you do a really good job, and like the I'm information is solid. So I mean, I they might not be you know all edited all crazy because I know you don't have time for that. You're not going to do that. I'm not <laughs> stupid, and I just I, I just shoot. I don't care if the snake gets unruly in the middle of the video. I had one, you know, I had my camera blow down in the wind. Like, I <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know, but it's really good, solid information. So I, I really suggest that. I would want to watch. I'm not a flash and flare guy. I'm a give me good information. And I also like the unedited because when a video is edited, even if it's edited for good reasons, you always wonder what else is edited out. With my videos, you know, nothing's edited out. So you know that these snakes are actually sitting there for 15, 20, 30 minutes and just behaving. And short tails and bloods have that terrible reputation, which some of them deserve. <laughs> we all have a few. That True story. Yep. But by and large, you know, I have 80 something short tails and like two of them are assholes. There's another handful that if you put them in the right situation, will defend themselves. But as long as you don't do that, you're fine. But I only have two that are like, no matter what I do, they're coming for me. Everybody else is pretty laid back. I can take them outside. I can sit there in the chair with them. I can do whatever I need to. Or at the very least, you know, move them to clean them. I don't use hooks on them or anything. You know, it's, it's all fine. But I, I thought that that was a channel that I would want to see with just good information, no flash and flare. You know, eventually if I could get like an intro or something, I might do something like that if the channel actually took off. But for right now, for what it is, I, I think uh, hopefully people find it useful. What you need and to do is cheat like uh, April and film your stuff and then send it to somebody else to edit it. <laughs> I don't – I <laughs> edit my own stuff. You added the intro to your new video? Yeah. The intro The intro Terrell made years ago and sent it to me, and I always I, – I have it, so I edited it in. I'm impressed. Yeah. Wow. All that editing is me, but yeah, I don't do very we'll much. I'll be doing mine when I need one. Oh, wow. <laughs> Not me. It'll be Terrell. <laughs> I will say I, I enjoyed – I watched some of your videos, and, and I enjoyed – okay. How do I say that? I don't want to say anybody else's names because there are some people out there who make videos that have YouTube channels that make videos with great information that I would love to watch, but they are so boring. Like, yeah. I can't – like – there's no real change in inflection. There's, it's just them sitting in front of a camera. Like, uh, well, you, can't, you can't fake passion. And like, I think that comes across and that's why Steve Irwin was so successful was because he's passionate and it was a legitimate passion. It wasn't faked. Somebody's like, like Jeff Corwin. I can't get into watching him as uh, much. Just don't feel any passion. there. Like, I feel like he's doing it as a job. He's punching in and punching out. He was also he, a puss when it came to stuff. Like he, he would freak out around right. some things. Yeah. But whereas like Mark O'Shea might not be the most exciting guy, but you can see his passion still in what he's doing, even though he's not like animated and all this, you can still see it. And that, that's why, like, I love watching Kevin's stuff because here's a guy, you know, like him or not. And I know obviously some people don't, um, but he's got one of the premier facilities for reptiles. He has all kinds of cool shit. But if you watch some of his videos, He's out there with garter snakes, and he's like a little kid, so excited about garter snakes. This guy has snakes that are worth $25,000 each, you know, I mean, crazy stuff. And he's excited about something that most of us would walk by in our yard and not even think twice about. And, and that's what gets me excited about people. Even if I don't agree with everything he does, I love that passion and the fact that the simplest things still excite him 
decades into, you know, doing this as a career, which is stressful. Running that facility is not something that I envy at all. I spend a lot of time up there um, and you're at the mercy of your employees. And I think right now, honestly, out of all the staff that I've ever seen up there, this is like the most solid staff that he has right now. Because Rob, Jeremy, Gianni, Emily, like, you know, everybody up there really is passionate about the animals. Um, and how can you how can you lose with having people, you know, taking care of your animals that are that are not passionate? See, I will say I think I think part of all that social media and everything is kind of the reason people don't like him. And so I think what he does, if he did everything he does right now, as far as what he produces, how he produces, shows up to shows, sells, but you didn't see the behind the scenes stuff, you didn't see the the clickbaity stuff that they do post, you didn't see all that. Well, if you look at Kevin's older videos, I like those better. Now they're going for a little bit more of like the pop on social media, and I'm not a big fan of that, um, which is why, you know, obviously Barcheck turns people's stomachs for other reasons, but he also is way too into the clickbait and all that stuff. And they're going that way. But at the same time, as much as I want to hate on it, that's a revenue stream. Yeah, dude, that's, and, that's a paycheck for someone, right, like literally. <laughs> running that facility, the overhead, I was talking to somebody the other day. I was actually talking to Rob. We were trying to figure out how many reptiles Kevin has up there. And we both guessed around 5,000, which could be way off. It could be close, but whatever. But just imagine it's 5,000 animals. And just imagine it costs you a dollar a week to feed them. That's $5,000 a week just to feed those animals. And so then you have employees as well. But see what I'm trying to say is, and I know Kevin doesn't give a shit what people think about him. But think yeah. about what the public perception would be of him. If you didn't see all the background stuff, you just saw what they produce. You just saw the animals. You just saw that. People would, many more people would enjoy him way more. And I'm not saying they need to stop what they're doing. Do what you need to do. Do you whatever. I'm just saying that this whole social media, it really shapes the way we view people and whether they're doing something good or not. And the problem is they could do 10 good things. But if there's one thing where it's like, I can't fucking stand that. We start to get this whole "I don't want to watch them at all" mentality. Um, you know, Barcheck really turns a lot of people's stomachs. But I do watch a lot of his videos now because I like what he just built. I like seeing the exhibits and the animals. But there's also a lot of stuff where like I, I can't watch that. No, like jamming fidget spinners in animals' faces, like that's not positive for the animals in any way, shape, or form. Like you're just doing that for revenue. Uh, it's not like a blooper video where you get bit by a snake or something, which I still don't think you should really share. But at least that's like a normal routine part of snake keeping. Jamming fidget spinners in a snake's face, like, what are you doing? Or blindfolding people and having them stick hands in there to try to get bit, like, that yeah. kind of stuff. Is that still happening? I thought those were, like, old school videos. I'm sure they're older videos, but I'm just But they saying, happened. Yeah. And they're still out there. You can still find right. them. Right. He hasn't, I'm sure he hasn't taken them down. He's still making that money. But the, the problem is with a platform like YouTube or any any social media platform, there's only so many people like us that are passionate reptile keepers. If, if you were just looking to appeal to us, which is really more or less what my channel is designed for, it's never going to have a huge following because there's only so many of us. Even if I got every single one of us passionate reptile people, it's not a lot of people. Whereas if you appeal to the average person that doesn't keep these animals, which that kind of flash and flare and, and stuff does... Yeah all of a sudden you're at millions of followers because the average person doesn't know what we know and doesn't understand what we understand. So they don't even understand that shoving a fidget spinner in a snake's face is wrong. They're just like, Oh, that's really funny. You know, which I, it's just, it's, it's the unfortunate, 
unfortunately, I guess. It's the world we live in. Like, it's a, a necessary evil for that person. But at the same time, it's not going to stop us from bitching about it. Like, I mean, we're still going to bitch about it. Absolutely not. And, and and that's why, you know, when you look at the Bob Clarks and Jay Brewer and Kevin and Barcheck, those are probably four of the biggest names as far as, like, big facilities go that I can think of. Um, I look at Kevin as the best out of them. Um, but there's definitely things that I, I wish that he would change that he does. But who am I to tell him at the same time? You know, I mean, he's he's got the resume that I, I couldn't sit there and tell him, well, I think you should do this. I, I You know, it's, it's tough. Do I feel like I have a right as a human being? Sure. But do I feel like I have a right as a snake keeper? Like, I don't think I've cut enough, you know, to really sit there and say those things, even though like some of the things that like, I, I feel like he feeds his short tails a little too much. And as somebody that's kept those as the bulk of my collection for a long time, I feel like I have a right to say that, but it's hard to say it to somebody that's been a, you know, one of the top couple of guys in the industry for a long time. And I think, and I, I know what I want people to understand is as much as we're saying some of the negative things, I'm sure all those guys that you named and that we've talked about on a personal level are great people. And so I'm not bashing any of them on a personal level. I know someone will go, well, you're bashing what they do. It's personal. It's not. No, uh, no. It's, it's a public perception that a lot of them put out. As Barshak. a person talking one-on-one, I'm sure they're great. Yeah. No, Barshek is a super personable guy. If you sat down with him one-on-one, he's a likable person. There's no disputing that. There's no denying that. But that doesn't mean that some of the things he does isn't going to bother you. And I, I think people have this fear of criticizing someone that they respect or like personally. But I, I think that we need to do that because as a hobby, we need to police ourselves. And if yes. you talk to them one-on-one, and talk to them about that subject, they would tell you that we need to police ourselves, but then sometimes they don't like it when they're the ones getting policed. So, you know, people can talk to me and tell me things that they don't like. It doesn't mean that I'm going to change what I'm doing, but I appreciate feedback, whether it's, you know, positive or negative, as long as it's in a constructive manner. If you're just like, oh, well, you're a fat piece of shit. It's like, okay, great. (laughs) I'm aware, like I have to roll myself out of bed, but that's not constructive. But if you're like, you know, I think you should look at doing enrichment more or something. I may not agree with you, but I appreciate the fact that you're coming at me from a constructive manner and trying to, in your mind, do something better for my animals. I'll always appreciate it. I that. agree. I, I wish, honestly, I wish people would leave more reviews for the podcast. Um, but mostly, I, I, I want to take the positive reviews just to inflate my own self-ego. But <laughs> I honestly want to know how people feel because I get reviews, but the reviews from the same, I don't know, seven, right. eight like, people, the people I know. Yeah, same comments all the time. Yeah, and, and I, I appreciate every single one of them. Don't stop giving them to me. They're great. Um, but I, I, I'd like to know, like, I do know, I, I always check my, you know, on Apple, I always check the podcast and see if someone else finally left them their comment. It was a great comment, but I'm like, more people listen to the podcast, just leave me a comment. Let, and again, if I'm doing something you don't like, let me know. But, I mean, it's not that I'll change it. I, I'm I'm pretty much confident <laughs> with how I'm doing. But let me know. It's worth letting me know. I may change it. You don't know. Well, well look at, look at, from a snake keeper's perspective, you know, you look at some of these guys, especially guys that like just kept ball pythons and I don't mean to knock them, but it's just, the no, but it's okay. Knock them. Yeah, no. And, uh, you know, you look at them and they'll be like, Oh, well, you know, I've kept ball pythons for 10 years and I've never had a problem. That's great. And that's good. And I'm not knocking that. You shouldn't be trying to have problems, but that person that spent five years keeping wrong, probably learned more how to read behavior and deal with things then all of a sudden that person has 10 years experience and something even simple goes wrong and they don't know how to treat it because they've never dealt with it. Yeah. So I'm not saying you should try to make mistakes, 
but like my start in reptiles was doing rescue work. So I started off seeing all the negatives and seeing all the things that can happen. And so that's made me a better keeper tenfold, especially with breeding, because I know the bad side of that cycle and how these animals get treated by people. So that makes me 10 times more strict on who I sell to because I want to make sure that you're going to take care of that animal for its life, which is why it upsets me when I see them for sale so fast, because I do invest a lot of time in that. I would rather sit on every animal I ever produce than sell it to somebody I'm not comfortable with, period. I don't care about the money. I charge what I charge because I have to try to keep my lights on, you know, but as far as, as far as am I in it for the money? Absolutely not. Yeah. Agree. Okay. Um, with that, we will move on to a new segment. So this is going to be uh-uh. my little segment, my additive to this podcast, because I definitely can't do Carly's animal of the week. That is just not my cup of tea. But something that uh, Carly did inspire me to pick up was going over the current uh, alerts that US Arc has um currently <laughs> lack of words and going over happening. current things that are current <laughs> um so we already talked about louisiana and what's going on in, in louisiana Oof. so if you live in that area um actually if you go to usr united states association of reptile keepers on facebook that actually seems to be the most up to date with all the alerts I went on their website and got some stuff from like late last year. So um, definitely go on there and like and follow whatever it all is. Make sure that you are getting all of their alerts. I th- as I say, join their email because they email most things out to you. So if you're on that, you'll yes. that. And if you yes. keep just a corn snake or just a ball python or just a leopard gecko, you still need to pay attention to these things because just because you don't keep 40 snakes – doesn't mean these things don't affect you. Well, not, not only that, but forget reptiles. If you keep an animal a pet, period, or you believe that people should be able to have pets, you should be paying attention because yes. reptiles are just a stepping stone. They're not the big picture. Absolutely. Um, so what I'm going to do, actually, is if you guys like and follow the US Arc page on Facebook, get a screenshot of that, send that to James and I, and I will put you guys into a pool and... I will pick a winner at, I don't know, how what time period? I don't know the time period yet. I'll figure that out later. But you'll get some odd percent off of your next purchase with me or a t-shirt or something. You'll win something it, for be following fun. these guys. Good current. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Be, maybe, hey, I'll get you a US Arc shirt. That's really? what I'll do. Wow. Um, if you guys uh, follow these. So go ahead and follow them. Send us a screenshot that you are doing that and then you'll be put into a pool. I'll give, I'll put details on our actual page cause I just thought of this spur of the moment. So I'm just, you know, winging it. Um, <laughs> but we went over what was going on in Louisiana and what's great about us arc is they normally give you like what action steps to take. Um, and I believe even if you don't live in that state, you can still give your opinion and you can still write letters. So me doing this also is kind of holding myself accountable to write those letters and, you know, give my opinion. If there's something close, I know we have um, an Arkansas and a Kentucky one that's pretty close to me. If it's something you can easily get to, if there's an, uh, an actual meeting that's taken place, uh, go to it and give your opinion and let them know that they might be overreaching or whatever it might be. 
like I said, US ARC tells you basically, these are the points, these are why these points are not factual, this is what you can do and say um, in a professional manner to you know, give our opinion and our viewpoint. So, uh, like I said, we went over Louisiana, uh, the Arkansas update. So what they are doing is they are overhauling the captive wildlife regulations. This began back in 2018. And there's many issues with the current regulations and this proposal resolves some of those issues. And this actually is a law that is in the benefit for us. So they have an, un, uh, they're creating a three tier system of species, an unrestricted list, a permitted list, a prohibited list. Um, but I believe this reverses a lot of the animals that possibly, um, don't quote me because I have like five different things up for alerts and I'm getting them all mixed up. But um, I believe this law is in our favor. So that's something that you're going to want to go and support. And then we got Pennsylvania. And this was introduced on April 27th. And the main scope of this bill is to redefine exotic wildlife. Um, so it does include a list of species, but it's not inclusive as the it clearly states that it applies to all non-indigenous animals. So some of the species on there are bird species, horses, camels, um, domestic guinea pigs. They have a whole list on here. Like I said, this is on USARC's page on um, Facebook, so you can get the details for that as well. Um, doo -doo 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 -doo. Yep, so that's that one. What's funny well, about non-indigenous uh, or non-native species is that magically cats are never put on that list. But yet, out of everything we've talked about, I know you own cats, but out of everything we've talked about, the most dangerous, invasive species of all of them is cats. And it's never put yeah. on a list, ever. Because the opposition to that would be immense, but if people don't defend this stuff, eventually they'll work up with enough precedent to where it doesn't matter how many people oppose it, they'll still be able to push it through. Yeah. So that's why those cat owners right now that are like, screw snake owners or screw lizard owners should be supporting us. But that's also why another reason I always tell people with the feeding videos, we need rodent people to defend us. Snake people, reptile people are a very, very small percentage of the population. We need other pet keepers. So when you insult them by laughing as their favorite pet is dying, it's not that you're being insensitive or they're being too sensitive. It's that you're not respecting somebody who's helped we need. And I try to drive that into people and they just don't seem to get it. You know, I, I'm a person, I've, I've killed a lot of rats in my day because I keep snakes, but I love rats. It's one of my favorite animals. I think they're incredible pets. Um, you know, it just so happens I love snakes and snakes eat them. But we need to support those people because I and mean, we need those people to support us and and people are so short-sighted and are so i don't know if it's egotistical or what it is but they just want to post these videos that don't do anything positive and have so much backlash and they don't see the big picture of what that backlash can do yep um with our next one this is in oak grove kentucky and basically they propose a blanket ban on all exotic animals uh, council member Levo, I believe, stated that the ban would include anything that could be considered exotic. So how general is that? That's a ridiculous <laughs> statement. Um, but she included examples of snakes, pot-bellied pigs. Uh, essentially, it would open the door for fines or seizures of any animal that is not a dog, a cat, or in the city's definition of livestock. 
So they had a Facebook Live ordinance on May 5th, and it sounded like um, from the update on May 6th to go ahead and keep contacting the officials because they're actually listening. It was quoted prior to the second reading, the council along with the mayor and city attorney Mark Gilbert will do additional research regarding laws surrounding exotic pets and vicious dogs and animals to be added to the ordinance. So they will have a second hearing on May 19th. Um, it sounds like this is going to be a Facebook Live type of situation. Um, so keep contacting them. And if you go down um, on this post, it's, they're all very long, detailed posts, but they give you an email list of who to contact, the subject line, and an example letter um, that you can send to them. Just, you know, just giving a voice and saying, hey, this isn't okay. It might not seem like it's a lot, but it actually really, really helps. And if that's the, the smallest thing that we can do to give back to our community, I mean, we really, really need to get together and do this. Um, that's, um, you know, all of us, I think, are on that kind of soapbox. Uh, but that's the last one I had. Like Dan said, they, all these alerts came to me in the email. So you can go onto usarc.org and sign up for their email list, and they'll send you all of these alerts so you have um, real-time updates, basically. Um, I know Carly talked about Florida and the um, reptiles of concern uh, issue that was going on in the bill. Uh, update as of the 4th that the bills have failed to pass committee and they're now dead for the session. I don't know what the session means exactly or how long that is, but as of right now, everything, I guess, is at a standstill. So it's an update on that one. That oh. is all I have for USR updates. So just a quick, quick point to that. Yeah. Um, some of the ones that I've been to, I've seen situations where the response was great from all kinds of people around the country but that they were very driven onto what their constituents wanted. So if you are people that live in this area, it's even more important not only to send something in yourself, but get your friends, family, anybody that's willing to, to help out, even if they don't keep. The more people that oppose it, they'll actually listen. But uh, we, we ran into situations in some states around here where they basically weren't letting anybody speak that wasn't a constituent of that particular area uh, at these meetings. Uh, fortunately, in that case, enough committee members felt that the language was too ambiguous, which it was in that case, they were basically trying to get rid of puppy mills was what they were selling, but they were listing it as basically anybody that holds more than like three animals per year for sale is basically considered a puppy mill, mill no matter what species it is. Huh. <laughs> Even so if they, it wasn't puppies at all. <laughs> so they were, they were using the puppy mill and they had HSUS there who had a whole presentation of, of horrible things we've all done. And all the sad, you know, Sarah McLaughlin type stuff um, that they put a presentation. And, and the thing that, that touched in my mind the most was this lady brought this dog to the meeting that had been from a puppy mill. It was a breeder. And this dog was like a highly reactive, stressed out dog. And she brought it into the chambers of all these people. And it was freaking out. And I thought to myself, like, you're I, I get the puppy mills are not the greatest thing. I, I totally understand that. I don't think anybody in their right mind thinks that they are great. But this legislation is, is overreaching and going after too many people and not just targeting what it's going after. But don't you think if that dog's that stressed out, like, don't bring it to that situation? Like, you're just as bad at this point as the people you're saying are so bad, you know, like. You're dragging into a room full of 200 people where this dog was so stressed out, all to try to make your point on your soapbox, and it was really kind of sad to see. Yeah, absolutely. 
Um, it's kind of like who's the bigger person right now doing that. Yeah. Um, but, yes, so that wraps up all of the alerts that I have. Cool. Like I said, follow them on Facebook, send us a screenshot, and you'll get put into, I guess, the drawing for a US Arc shirt. Fancy. I know. Incentives, baby. Yeah. <laughs> but, I mean, really, that's like on the emails that they send you, they sent me to their Facebook website for every single link that I went to to look up more information. So if you go and follow them and make sure all of the notifications so you get all of their updates, um, you should be you know, pretty up to date on, on the different things going on. They're good about reminding people, but just to say it too, be polite when you send this stuff out. Be informative, you know, saying, you know, screw you guys or you're not taking my animals, all that kind of stuff doesn't help anybody. Um, so you always want to be constructive with that stuff and, you know, be, be reasonable. Tell them. I oppose it. Here's why I oppose it, you know, and do it in a, in a constructive manner because every little thing we do reflects on us as a community and we really can't afford any bad PR right now. Yeah. We don't need any inflammatory type of verbiage or if you're there in person, you know, overreacting and being super crazy, nothing like that. <laughs> so your- We know you're passionate, <laughs> but reel it in a little bit. <laughs> so that is all I have for the week, and I, I know April, I told you we try to keep under two hours, but but we didn't. I, I know. I got text from my roommate. She's like, it's been two hours. Are we going to the grocery store? <laughs> yeah, that's, that's, I got to go to the grocery store, too. That's what we got to get there before it closes. Yeah, exactly. I'm like, oh, we have time. We're okay. <laughs> so that's all I've got. Um, that is all I have. Dan, do you have anything that you want to add? No, I appreciate the opportunity. Hopefully, uh, you don't have to edit me out completely. <laughs> no, you're great, Dan. Thank April, you so much. If I don't have to edit out, edit out April, you get to stay also. It's fine. <laughs> if we had our opportunity. You're the one that told her to, to switch the mic That's over. That's true. I should have been so quiet. No one would have heard her. It would have been great. <laughs> so, Dan, if they want to get a hold of you, if they want to watch your videos, go yeah. through the whole spiel there. Uh, Dan Magano Snakes, uh, M-A-G-A-N-O on the last name, um, either on YouTube or Instagram. And then Facebook. Um, it's a long story, but my name is really stupid on there. It's actually under Danage Magano, so it's D-A-N-N-A-G-E. Um, just a running joke. Somebody uh, was butthurt and didn't like me, and so I was just trolling them, and now I've just left it my name. Um, but uh, that one, everybody always goes to my alternate account, which is just my when I'm in Facebook prison account, <laughs> so I don't really check that one very often. Um, but, yeah, any of those those methods are great. Uh, Instagram and YouTube are pretty much just snakes. I have a couple of videos on my YouTube that are, you know, of my dog and cat or something like that. Just, I think I have three total that aren't, maybe even two that aren't uh, snake related. Uh, but those two platforms are pretty much snake related. Facebook, you know, you're going to hear me complain about life once in a while. And the one thing I can tell you is I don't get involved in politics, so you won't have to see any of that. But uh, I definitely complain on there, so. If you don't like complaining, don't don't follow that. Okay. April, you're up. All right. You can find me on designerexotics.net, not .com, because that was taken and or too expensive. Um, and then on YouTube and Instagram and Facebook, you can find me at Designer Exotics. Awesome. You can find me at Simply Serpents on Facebook. You can find me at Simply underscore Serpents on Instagram. Uh, and then the whole reason here, you can find us 
at the Reptile Gumbo Podcast on Facebook. Seriously, go, if you're listening to this, go there every week, check it out, post things that you want us to talk about, comment on things that we've posted. We will bring it up during the show. Uh, you can find us on Instagram. I've really got to get better at posting on Instagram. I'm going to put April in charge of Instagram. Oh, that's a bad idea. <laughs> but okay. <laughs> you can find us at the Reptile Gumbo Podcast on Instagram. You can email us, uh, the Reptile Gumbo Podcast at gmail.com. Um, and then you can, you're listening to us now, so you obviously know you can listen to us on any <laughs> podcasting platform. Uh, that is all I have. It was a great show. Thanks, Dan, for coming. I'm, I'm, thank you. Now I'm just yeah, going to meet you in so person. Much. Yeah. I got to get back to my home state at some point. My friends down there have been bugging me for a long time. So, well, you're, you're going to miss crawfish season in the next month or so. So, I know. I know. That's one of the things I miss about, uh, carpet fest at least they uh they used to do that but now this year i don't think there's a carpet fest up here with all this shit going on nope i do not think so they canceled that <laughs> so. boo <laughs> all right well another podcast down that was now we got a whole other week to try and find more stuff to talk about next week heck yeah all right guys thank you so much thank and you. have a lovely night thank you bye See ya.